0: He's away from the mic. It's our show now. What do we want to talk about? So My Little Pony is great. No, <laughs> My God, brony. Seriously? I don't know. <laughs> you say that I now. I've literally never seen an episode.
1: <laughs> you should have said My Little Riptide.
0: My Little Riptide. My Little All
2: right. I'm taking control of the show back now. Damn it. <laughs> All right. The, the greater good is, is friendship. <laughs> friendship is the greater good. <laughs> You're fired. Friendship is the greater good. Welcome to Preferred Enemies, the for Network, Warhammer 40k podcast. I'm your host Rob,
0: Kevin, Dennis,
2: and Richard. And if Kevin's coming in loud and clear, it's because he's actually in town for the Christmas week. Yay. Yay! Happy Yay. holiday, Kevin! Yay! <laughs> and so uh, we are here. Uh, this is our year-end uh, extravaganza, although this is actually going to probably be a little bit shorter than most of our episodes, because it's 11 o'clock at night, yeah. and we've we're, been we at this. We've been gaming all day. Yep. Uh, yeah. Giving... Some of the new missions from uh, Chapter Approved 2018, you know, through, running them through their paces, specifically the Maelstrom missions, because we yeah. wanted to kind of uh, we kind of see how they would work for doing the friendly tournament that we're going to be doing at Midwest Conquest, and also just kind of get a feel for some of the changes they did with like uh, the
0: deployment, the different types of Maelstrom objectives, the tactical restraint was very interesting.
2: Yeah, yeah. and then uh, yeah, just kind of just and also like the the change in deployment that was mm-hmm. a big one so uh so we've we've played some games no armies were repeated everyone we have each of us brought two armies and it was basically uh we played two games and then winner winners of each winners and losers played each other and used the other army they brought yep uh, but we'll talk more about that and this and kind of our take on it and our feelings about the new di- you know about some of the changes <sighs> Uh, in, in the second half of the show. First off, normally we would do news and new releases, but there's not a lot of news. Uh, yeah. The only news right now is uh, White Dwarf is getting some tweaks and updates. Uh, the big thing is they're going to try to do more rules in the mm-hmm. in the magazine. So they're starting off with Cruit Mercenary Kill Team, which that's, that's kind of cool. And then uh, they're bringing back the Index of Starties segment that they used to have years ago. And first uh, chapter that gets updated is the Crimson Fist, so they're going to get a couple, pa- you know, a few pages of fluff I add mm-hmm. on, and then I think they're exp- like giving them a chapter tact, an actual like chapter tactic of all all their own, and then some new relics, stratagems, mm-hmm. stuff like warlord traits, stuff like that.
0: I doubt they will, but I really hope they use that as an opportunity to update some of the Forge World chapters, like do like an Astral Clause or something like that, just to get those because those have never.
2: Those really don't have any like they were updated in seventh, and then yeah. that's the last we've heard of it. So, if Ford, yeah. Forge World has not been on the ball as far as update getting no. more stuff out, no.
3: But I mean, I will say like White Dwarf does, you know, cover the Forge World mm-hmm. stuff. It does. So, so there's no reason so why I there's
2: could. no reason why it couldn't. True, true. I would just like to see Forge World, uh, you know, putting out. I mean they've been drip feeding a few models here and mm-hmm. there, and I know they've also been focused on like doing getting the Lord of the Rings stuff supported again, which yeah. has surprisingly been big apparently. Yeah. No, I mean the, I understand
0: why they're doing it, but it's you know, obviously with some of the changes and so, you know, the, the the person who passed away last year was one of the designers, like that's obviously thrown some things into uh into disarray, I'm sure, on that production side. But yeah. Hopefully they'll ramp that up in twenty nineteen.
2: Yeah. But uh you know that that's just kind of a, a hope to see but other than that we don't have any anything you know new coming out has been announced and it, obviously it's christmas holiday i don't yeah. think it but new you know first the i think the only other thing is like vestroian yeah. models are like made to order like last chance which is yeah. cool
0: but by the time this goes out they will have already been the, they're, the they're sales gone over. Yeah. it was like a 4 day
2: thing yeah so uh they're cool models they're cool models and <laughs> I've actually looked around and nobody, none of like the model makers that I'm like, the bits makers like Cromleck, Max Mini, Puppet Wars, none of them are doing uh, Victoria miniatures. Nobody's doing Cossack heads. Yeah. So there's like, you can't even like kit bash p- appropriate Vestroians short of like tracking down like Napoleonic era models or something like that. And I don't yeah. think the scale's quite right. No, so not quite.
3: Yeah. And I mean,. I think uh War Machine has kind of that the, the Kador the, stuff. The Kador stuff is vaguely like that. Like the scales not exactly the same mm-hmm. for
2: those either, but that they have like snipers but, and stuff like that, but trying to get like models for like heavy weapons teams uh, and stuff oh like that, you really right. wouldn't have yeah. that. So Yeah. Um so it's I'm hoping maybe this means we'll see plastic start seeing some plastic mm-hmm. regiments in 2019 would be there, nice. there's a lot of stuff I would like to see in 2019. And again, we'll talk about like, I think section two of the show is going of mm-hmm. be our, our hopes and dreams for the new year. And yeah, so, uh, but instead we're going to focus on your, this, First segment on your listener mail, and as always, these letters are written by you, the listener, and we will tell you how you can, if you have a letter you would like to get to us or a message you want us to read on the air or something, tell you how we can, uh, or we'll tell you how to do that at the end of the segment. So the first one is from Nathan Martin, who runs the uh, Show Me Showdown. And uh, great guy. It was a fun event. Really enjoyed it. So uh, he writes, Hello, Preferred Enemies. Nathan Martin here. And I wanted to give you guys a shout to tell you that I thoroughly enjoy the podcast. Well, thank you, Nathan. I listen to a ton of podcasts. Most are 40K related, and they run the gamut from casual slash hobby to competitive. Yours provides a good mix of both, and I always look forward to listening to your content. Well, again, thank you. I was also very excited to hear that you guys are running a friendly slash casual event at next year's Midwest Conquest. I heard your feedback after the 2018 friendly event you played in at LVO, and I think there's definitely a niche for these more relaxed events. As you know, I run the Show Me Showdown in Kansas City, and it's a competitive event. While I do love competition, I also love the hobby and fluff. I have made my own Space Marine chapter, The Brothers of the New Dawn, and have Fluff written for them, etc. I love taking these guys to tournaments, even though Space Marines are, at best, a mid-tier army. That is absolutely true. Mm -hmm. Uh, There's only a few builds that are actually competitive, and even these won't get to the top tables of a large D-tier major very often. Having said that, I do love competition. I've been playing games competitively since the early 90s, starting with the gateway drug of of Magic the Gathering, going to Grand Prix tournaments, and later playing other CCGs. I moved to tabletop games in early 2000s and started playing 40K in 4th edition and attended many events in the past, from GW Games Days to Adepticon. Oh, I missed the last. Yeah. I really wish the Games Day would come back. Now at 43, I find myself leaning a little towards the fluff slash hobby side of things, and most of my close friends have moved further away from competitive gaming. I bought my ticket for the Friendly event and am excited to have the Brothers of the New Dawn represent. I hope the people who listen to the podcast and may be a bit fearful of attending a large event think about the Friendly. With equal scores for paint, sports, and battle, players can take advantage of all aspects of the game. I still plan on attending some competitive events this year as well, though I will be at Flying Monkey's competitive event in June. My best advice for listeners would be to play what feels good. We're in an awesome time right now where there are a ton of events you can attend. That is absolutely true. From friendly to beat-your-face events, there's something for everyone. Don't get hung up on winning all the time and be humble when you do win. Everyone has spent time and effort to come to the event. Yes, there are those occasional knuckleheads that may make your game experience a little less than favorable, but that's not a reason to not come out and enjoy a game with someone new. I can tell you with over 20 years of playing in major events of all styles, that the good, fun players you'll meet outweigh the jerks at least 10 to 1. At any rate, thanks for all you guys do. Keep up the good work. I'll see you in May at Midwest Conquest, and hopefully in July at my event, the Show Me Showdown. Your friend, Nathan Martin. Well, I will definitely try to be at Show Me Showdown again, because yeah, it was yeah. a lot of fun. I'm
1: definitely going to try, and if I go, I'll try and bring my own army.
2: <laughs> you tried to bring an army, I, yeah. and you just forgot half of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So another yeah.
1: shout-out to, to Nathan and the crew there for yeah. letting me use a, an army yeah. they had on hand.
2: Yeah. They actually ended up having, what, two ringer armies? Yeah.
0: Oh, nice. So but I they will... didn't
2: make you play as the ringer. They no. actually let you play competitively. Uh, that's cool. yeah.
0: That's very cool. So I won't be at Midwest Showdown – or Show Me Showdown because in July I'll be at the World Cup in France. So a little bit of humble crag. Um, But also uh, I wanted to also take that opportunity since you mentioned the Midwest Conquest to – by the time this goes out, the ticket prices will have gone up to
2: $40? Uh, $30. $30. $30. $30
0: for the event. Um, but it'll stay at $30 through April. Through the end of April. The end of April. So if you want to get your ticket at the slightly lowest price, lower price, go ahead and, uh, sign up for it. Yeah. Uh, we still have plenty of space, but, uh, but we, we we know
2: they, they start to fill up quickly. You know, you get, we've got a few early adopters who try to get in at the lower rate, Mm -hmm. but I will usually get a few like right before the end of the year, you know, who lock it in. Um, but uh yeah, anyway, to go what Nathan was saying that you know playing what feels good, playing yeah. what feels right, and the fact that there are a variety of events and we 're starting you know're seeing more people starting to to really ask about doing narrative events we 're seeing more friendly events uh and and yeah. again that like the reason one of the reasons we 're doing the friendly event and a competitive event, and then we 've also got a horse heresy narrative event that 's being yeah. run there, is that that way, there is something that caters to more your taste in games. Mm and not to necess- I don't want to say necessarily like segregate the two groups but it does kind of help purify the experience yes. for the people involved so the people who are playing in the competitive event know that they are playing against people who are coming with the competitive mindset they're coming with a certain set of expectations and they know that the games they're going to get are probably going to be be higher tier as far yep. as the competition yeah not hopefully. necessarily the great players yeah. i think there you know casual players are easily as great you know y- yeah. good players it's just you know the the expectation Well, as as Nathan kind
0: of said, you know, the fact that there are people that love competition, that love testing themselves against the best. By doing this, you, you're making those competitive events, you know, the best people that can, people that show up to a competitive event are going to be competitive. Um, so you're getting to test yourself against the very best and the people who, Maybe this is their first time, or whatever, or they're they're not as competitive. Have some other events they can go to as well, and still have as good a time.
1: Or, as he said, it gives you another option. If you go to a lot of competitive mm-hmm. events and just want to say play something that's not top tier, mm-hmm. then yeah, play enough a friendly, so you can like have the best of both worlds over the course of a few months or year.
2: Mm-hmm. Or, and also, you know, it's a f- it's a uh, format that's a little bit more focused on on the hobby as mm-hmm. well as the. You know, hobby and and play playing games and th- you know how themed is your army. It lets you like you know he, like I said, he's written yeah. fluff. He's got like I've seen his ex- army. He's got I'm like ex- a big display board that he rolls yeah. around and yeah. So he you know he's somebody who like really gets into building out his whole vision of his little corner of the forty k universe. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing you want to see at the friendly too. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's the kind of thing you'd see it like like at a grander scale, like a depticons team tournament. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's that same kind of vibe that we're really kind of going for. So that is exactly why we're doing it. And we, you know, and yes, and he's also right. Most people, you know, yes, you do have the occasional people that are jerks or, you know, they're either jerks all the time or they get into a certain mindset sometimes when they're playing, but you get them outside of that and they're fine. But also I know a lot of the, like the high end competitive players that we've kind of run into repeatedly over the years. um, They're great guys. Like with very few exceptions most of them are, you know it's like well, like you sit down, chat with them, hang out right. they're they're fantastic, and honestly playing games with them, yeah, they're serious when they're playing because they're playing competitively they're playing to win For sure they're they're playing to whether it's earn i t c points or you know, just to get you know get the kudos for the top prize, but they're all they're not they're not jerks about it,
0: yeah, no, and I've learned more in those games against players like you know Ben Sherwin, Kyle Thompson, you know, and even playing Jason locally. These people that are the really good competitive players that don't, you know, the people that kind of don't let you have second chances. Like, nope, we're not going to hold back. That's where you learn a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and just become a better player. So yeah.
2: Yeah. There's, uh, something actually my, my six year old said apparently a couple of days <laughs> ago, uh, mistakes are how you know you're trying. That's, mm-hmm. really and that's good good actually, yeah. And that's like the games you lose are sometimes the ones that teach you the most. Sure. So that's, Yeah, that's exactly, you know, that kind of vibe. But at the same time, sometimes it's fun to just go to an event and just throw down dice Mm -hmm. and have fun. And that's why we're doing both and having that available. All right. Next up from Simon Neville. Uh, Simon is from Droitwich Spa, England. And he writes, Hello, gentlemen. I am currently planning to use the six Crucible of War missions from the new Vigilist book to run a campaign. The Vigilist book has a wealth of info for during the game. The question is, what have you guys seen as a best practice mechanic for between games? In other words, how does being the winner or loser of game one allow you to influence game two, etc.? My current thoughts are that the winner should be able to influence control of the land, perhaps being able to select deployment zone shape and choose which side they deploy. The loser particularly is where I'm running out of ideas. You need something to keep them motivated for the next game, compensating, but without rewarding losing. Any help would be greatly appreciated by myself and all narrative players. Thank you, Simon. Um, now I've seen like there are some events where like, or some campaigns are like tree campaigns mm-hmm. where, yeah, you'll have a, these two, like it usually works better where you've got like two players in the campaign, you know, just one, you know, one player on one side, one player on the other. And then it's like, okay, so. Here are the two players. Depending on what which player wins, we branch into like if the attacker wins, mm-hmm. we branch here. If the defender wins, we branch here, um, and then so on. Also, like some of the tr- the uh, like the shield of ball missions they did did for like or the you know for like the Leviathan Shield of Ball campaign. I seem to remember them having something where it's or maybe been the Wrath of Magnus stuff where it's like if like. If Imperium won the last game, then they mm-hmm. get a bon. They like it's a relatively yeah. minor bonus. Then like, and, and you could do stuff like that where it's like, uh,
0: since you're playing a lot of the attacker defender missions, if you win the previous game, maybe you get to pick whether you want to be attacker or defender. Yeah, maybe you get a plus one to seize initiative. Maybe your warlord gets like an extra warlord trade or something. Um, you know, just I, to kind of roll into the next games. A- Age of Sigmar's uh, Path of Glory.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Has, has basically has a system where, like, after each game, if you win, you get, like, so many points. And if you lose, you get less points, but you mm-hmm. still get points. And then you, like, you essentially use those points to, like, buy an extra unit for the next game or roll on a, a die and get, like, roll on a chart. And you get like an extra like kind of artifact that's kind of a one time use for the next game, mm-hmm. and and I particularly like that that like one time use yeah. ability like thing that you can randomly mm. get,
2: yeah, yeah, and yeah. You don't want the I don't think there should necessarily be any penalty for the losing player, yeah, but just a small either a small buff or like you said maybe the the winner gets a bigger buff. And the loser gets a... Gets a minor buff. buff. Yeah, gets or, a, yeah. or, you cou- or you could decide to flip it and say, okay, so the winner, like, maybe the winner gets to choose which mission we do, but the defender, like, the loser is now playing on the defense, so maybe mm-hmm. they get a chance to... Maybe they pick deployment first. Maybe they, yeah. like, kind of represent... They're being pushed back, but they're being pushed back into their own territory, so now they give the loser an advantage to maybe win back. Right. So... Right, you...
3: In campaigns where you do, like, give bonuses between games, you have to be really careful not to make any of those too powerful or, like, penalize anybody too much. Because it'll snowball. Because then it'll, yeah, just become a a losing snowball that, like, the losing player can't get out of.
0: Well, I like the idea, like you said, of it being... um a like one time use or like a one next game buff. Right. That way it doesn't carry on too much. Well, one of the things I was kind of thinking too is, um. You're looking at the same page as I was the, the battle, battle honors.
2: honors. Well, the battle honors as well, but like you could potentially use even like the custom character stuff and be like, Hey, like I mean, your warlord offense. gets a random yeah, buff. Your, your, your warlord gets,
0: you know, like the additional abilities of like there's a 66 table, like. If you yeah. win, you get to roll on it. You get to roll on it for two characters. If you lose, you get to roll on it for one for the next game. Yeah, yeah. and just add in yeah. something like that where it's you know you just add, you just tack those things on to the next you know your next for the next game and then it and then whoever wins that game you know they get two or whatever and it kind of goes from there. Yeah,
2: right. So yeah, there there's a lot of things you can do. To Rather than just have, okay, we play this mission, then we have this mm. mission, then we have this mission, and whether it's branching missions or attack attacker-defender getting a bonus for getting to choose, or and like I said, I also kind of li- like the idea of giving the winner a buff, but also giving, depending on the kind of narrative you're telling, like I said, mm-hmm. if you're pushing the defender further back... The defender should have more chances to build up, you know, defenses. Mm-hmm. Maybe make it so the defender always go like the defender always goes first. It can't be seized yeah. on, you know. Like yeah. give them the yeah, you know, something like mm-hmm. that. Mm-hmm. Or or maybe if the attacker wins, maybe the attacker gets to seize on a five up instead of yeah. a six, you know, or something like that. You know, there's there's things you can do. But, yeah, there's lots of options, and you just want to make sure very carefully that the, that it doesn't get too powerful and that the buffs only last for a game. They You really yeah. don't want them to carry over because, yeah, yeah. Th- somebody can just build mm-hmm. up, build up, build up. Yeah. So, but, yeah, th- there's lots of ways to do that and, and just find whichever one works best for the kind of campaign. Because if you're just doing a very linear campaign, then you just kind of always, like – like, if it's always going to be Imperium versus Chaos, and mm-hmm. this side's always going to be the attacker, and this side's going to be the defender, then, yeah, you kind of look at, if you can find the older campaign books, they'll say, like, if this side won la- the last mission, they get this. If the other side won the def- last mission, they get that. And just have that just, but keep kind of like, uh, uh, I would also recommend listening to the episode. It's an older episode, but, uh, the episodes yep. with Pimpcron about mission design, because he's yeah. kind of said the same thing, like, You don't want to make huge changes to the mission. Small tweaks will go a long way. Yes. So don't overwork it either.
0: Yes, definitely.
2: All right. Next up from Anton Modig. Anton writes, greeting, prenemies. I've been thinking of something lately, and I would love to hear your thoughts on it. It's no secret that sales decide the future of model lines over at Games Workshop, but not in all cases are the sales representative of the popularity of the faction or army itself. Ever since the release of the Gene Stealer Cult's Neophytes box... That kit has been a frequent use among converters, just like the Emperor F- Empire Flagellants kit before it, and more recently, the Kador <coughs> kit for Necromunda. Just look up some Blanchitsu articles and you'll see what I mean. I sure you all have a favorite sprue to cannibalize for great bits. My question is, what impact does these po- do these popular bit kits have? How many boxes do you think are bought simply for bits compared to boxes bought for making an army? Does the question make sense? A- anyway, thanks for thanks for being a high quality podcast. I listen to every episode and I don't even play forty k best regards from a conversion enthusiast anton well, thank you anton um honestly i I don't know how many like people are buying full kits unless they have a plan for like I'm gonna take all the bodies from this kit and and do something with them right i I think it's more you, which kits have bits that get part parted out on like eBay and stuff yeah. like that.
0: Well, like, so me personally, like, I use the Wraithmongers, uh, Age of Sigmar kit, and that's what I've made all of my chosen for my, my current corn army out of mm-hmm. because they're big, like, beefy, like, guys with a bunch of axes and stuff. And it's like, I kit bash that, I throw in a couple of 40k bits here and there, and now I've got these awesome, like, hulking dudes with, you know, with weird, like, um, alien, you know, demon armor and, like, demonic axes and stuff. Um, so uh, there's definitely a lot of those kits out there that get used for that. I, th- I mean, uh, as far as what GW decides with it, they're paying a lot more attention to the current hobby scene and the current tournament scene, and I am guarantee they're looking at the stuff that BCP is putting out. So they know what units are being used, what units are getting played. That's how they make determinations about point costs for chapter approved in the uh, General's Handbook every year. So... It's, I'm sure at this point, it's much more of a balance between, Hey, this, this unit is selling really well versus this unit's never actually on the field
2: anywhere. Yeah.
0: So I, I'm sure that they, they look at both data points now. Yeah. In the past, I would say it was solely based off of sales, but I, I think they're looking at a lot more data now than to, to look at that. And I think they're probably aware that some of these kits are made just to, to kit bash. Yeah. Yeah. Or mostly to kit bash.
2: Um I, and I noticed that uh like on the the hobby tutorial like painting and and hobby tutorials that they're doing on YouTube they've been like there's certain kits they kind of come back to regularly mm-hmm. like or they've been pushing like the conversions like like Chris Peach has his like what's it Ventralian noble uh, guard mm-hmm. where he's using like heads from like uh empire yep. soldiers they just did a praetorian And they're like, yeah, use the heads from like the Outriders for, you know, the Empire had like gunners and Outriders. So they even they're pushing like, hey, these are the bits like bring in some of the fantasy bits to convert up and do some interesting, you know, unique things. And they also know that they're like, like Praetorians, for example. Yeah. Praetorians is one of those armies that's like a favorite. Like, and they used to have that model line and then they they just retired it. Uh, But. They also know people are going to like Victorian miniatures and buying pith helmets or, you know, people yeah. are going to Max Mini and buying, you know, buying pith helmet bits. So they're also trying to encourage, how can we get people to buy our bits? But I imagine most people are buying those over eBay more than anything else. Like obviously like Chris Peach and Duncan Rhodes, they can just, you know, yeah. ravage through the, <laughs> the, the bits pile there at GW to get whatever pe- pieces they need. But, but I don't know if those, if those individual kits really have much of an impact on sales because it's, I don't think there's nearly as many people that are kit bashing as you might think. I mean, of the percentage of people who are just playing 40K, yeah. and it also depends on, like, the factions are disparate. Like, it's harder to kit, some like, some factions like Orcs or Chaos lend themselves very well to kit bashing. Some like Tau, not so much. Yeah. Uh, so it, it just really depends on on what what you're wanting to do. I think kill team opens up a lot of kit bashing yes. possibilities, yeah. but again, you're only going to be you're not going to be selling nearly as many of those kits. So it's really, I, I'd have no idea what the metrics on that look like and how it would impact things. Although, I we were even talking at lunch today about how we'd like to see more conversion kit upgrade screws, sprues, upgrade sprues, and upgrade stuff, sprues yeah. and stuff yeah. put out.
0: No, and I, I yeah, I I think they definitely mm. they definitely track it. They definitely go by sales because that's a hard and fast metric, but. I think they're also looking at a lot of other data now, and not just relying on
2: sales to to make those decisions. Yeah, I, I think I think if anything, you're going to see some kits less likely to be retired mm-hmm. if they see them being if they, especially if they themselves are using them for conversion bits more. But yeah, I, I don't know how much that will actually impact, and especially as we see more new kits, which because I'm hoping 2019, now that the codexes will be all out. Yeah. It'll I'm kind of hoping that's the year of kind of redoing some that's, of these model lines. That's the
0: other thing. Like, it takes so long to CAD design these models and put them into production and make the dies. And, you know, we're seeing it with Sisters. It's effectively going to be like a two-year, you know, wind up being almost a two-year-long process mm-hmm. to redesign everything. I don't know that they're making a lot of decisions. Like, like for example, I don't know that they're looking at the new Cowdor, like, Necromunda kit saying, wait a minute, this is selling three times as much as our other Necromunda kits. Let's start producing more and more of this. I, I think they're they file it away and go, okay, this is selling really well. We'll put it in the pipeline and in three years we might expand it. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think there's nearly as much like immediate reaction to that stuff as 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 is kind of assumed. I, I think it's much more the the tail on it's much
2: longer than a lot of people expect. Well, especially oh. like you see new model like when some of the sprues for, like, Dark Eldar were coming out, you'd look at the dates on the sprues, and they were, like, two, three years before the release date. So, yeah, yeah, this, like you said, very long tail on the production for this.
0: Absolutely, yeah.
2: All right, next one is from Tom Crisp. Tom writes, Greetings, preferred enemies. Merry Christmas. Well, Merry Christmas, Tom. Uh, Thanks for the great podcast, and sorry for the wall of text. Now I was lucky enough to find under the tree Bobby G. (laughs) My collection currently consists of... Primaris, it's Conquest, which is the subscription service that you can only get in the UK. <laughs> you cannot get in the United States. Uh, so it's Primaris. It's Primaris says 10 intercessors, 5 reavers, 3 aggressors, uh, an inceptor, a hellblaster, a lieutenant, and a librarian. Uh, the Admech, which is the basis for his kill team, 5 vanguard, 5 rangers, 10 unassembled skatari, a tech priest engine Seer, tech priest Dominus, and the dune crawler, but he really dislikes the model. Uh, two Armager Helverins for knights, and I'm also seriously considering some Vestroians that were announced to be made for order this week. Now, I'll preface the question with, we are very beer and pretzels players. Can I make anything reasonably good or fun from this? In my mind, there was a small Admech or Vestroian force with the Armagers pinned down and calling for support. Q. Bobby G leading the Primaris. What would you get next? Conquest is slowly growing my Primaris, and I'm fairly sure I'll end up getting an Iron Strider or two as they look awesome. But otherwise, I'm not really sure the direction to go in. I may or may not get some Vestorian heavy weapons teams as well, but I'm guessing the response to this message may be too late for the order window. Mm -hmm. Happy holidays. May the dice gods be ever in your favor, Tom. So, uh, I mean, yeah, if you can come up with a good story for it, and I Mm. don't think that's – I mean, Bobby G's good, and he's going to buff everything else up there, but if if you've got a good story for it and you're buying models because – you're acquiring models either like it's through Conquest or you're just getting whatever they're giving you. Yeah. And you're just trying to make the best of it. I think, you know, that's what you've got there is a very good basis. You've got like you've got enough there to do a small like battalion of Admet because you've got a couple of HQs. You've mm-hmm. got enough for four, five man units of Skitari. Yeah. Um, or even like two units of five and a unit of 10 or, you know, however you want to mm-hmm. break that up. And then, yeah, you could have a small unit of Admech, maybe add some Vestroyans, as, like, if you can get enough, if you can get enough Vestroyans to do, because uh, you're going to need at least 32.
0: Yeah. Well, if you're going to do a Battalion, you could do a Patrol or something a little yeah, smaller. Yeah, that's true. Um, I mean, the other thing, too, is that if you're saying you're Baron Pretzels, um, you know, the typical Force Org limitations don't necessarily apply. Like, you can throw in three or four, you know, different attachments and stuff, and it's not gonna impact it too yeah. much. So, you know, you can have a kind of a grab bag of Imperium things. Yeah. Um What soup? No. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, well that's <laughs> it. Like, and you know, you're not limited to like three that you would have to take it like to like an event. Yeah. You could have guard and admec and knights and space marines and it'd be totally fine. Yeah. Um if you're looking to pick up more of the um primaris marines the starter boxes are really good, the little starter sets they have. Yeah. Um the big starter box is really great. I don't
2: know if it's still available or not. Um, um I think it is. I think, I think Dark Imperium still might be.
0: Um, but I know that the smaller ones, like the 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 push fit ones they have. Yeah. Um First Strike and I forget the name no, of the other no one. No No <laughs>
2: Fear. Um they do. We, which are basically we, just like no, no fear is the one that's just the model, or is it first mm-hmm. strike that is just the the like the extra push fit models yeah. they did.
0: So the, the, they're all, they're basically the push fit models from the from Dark well because there's like one
2: that is just like the extra push fits mm-hmm. that they did, and then there's one that is most of the push fit yeah. from Dark Imperium. So
0: like those no, no, are no, no fear is the bigger one. is the okay. bigger one. Yeah. I'm so so you've sure. got those options to kind of fill out and add in a okay. few more models here and there. Um There are uh oh. push fit aggressors and push fit intercessors that you can get a push fit redemptor yeah redemptor
2: and if i remember right they've like said some of the stuff that's going to be coming in con- like eventually you'll get like mechanica's terrain you i think mm-hmm. they're eventually planning on getting like possibly a repulsor like at oh, the nice. and, like at the end of your yearly subscription you're supposed to have like a decent sized death guard force a decent sized nice. primaris space marine force and then some terrain very nice so uh and all in like the colored plastic i bl- I nice. believe
0: yeah because I think all the starter stuff for is all,
2: all of those is, is yeah. all colored plastic. dark those, imperium's those. not or is it no I think it is too I think it is mm, was it no dark imperium I think was all no, just yeah, grays I yeah.
3: da-
0: dark imperium <laughs> but I the that, other two I know are the other two are the other two
2: yes and the other the other, the other little plastic
0: the push fit ones that you can get as well are well, all colored yes. plastic. So, I mean, it it depends on kind of, I guess, just where you want to go with it. If you want to add in aggressors, there's three, you know, you can get the three push fits. You can get push hits for, you know, more, more intercessors, more, you know, characters. They do have the hell blasters, I believe in like the kill team box of five or the full squad of 10. Mm -hmm. So like, there's some different options there. If you don't want to go out and buy a bunch of stuff at once, like there's, there's price ranges and easy ways to get this stuff. Um
3: you always pick up more lieutenants. I <laughs> always pick up more lieutenants. <laughs> yeah, the, go on, the, uh, <laughs> it's so many. The, but, the 30th
0: but anniversary but lieutenant good. The 30th yeah, they, anniversary they lieutenant mean, they're, is they're uh, is like going on like is kind of a stop. They're going to stop producing it soon. Finally, yeah. So I only have like the six that I have.
2: <laughs> you I know what well, surprised me is the one thing they haven't released as a standalone yeah. kit is the ancient like the banner carrier. Yeah, you cannot yeah. get a banner carrier yeah. outside of the outside of Dark Imperium.
0: Yeah, that's a yeah that is kind of weird. I think the sword lieutenant's only in that one as well, isn't he? Uh, I don't think they ever depends on him. which
2: faction, because oh, right. like there's well, a the, Blood there's Angels a, one that. But has, I mean,
0: like that that specific push fit one, I think yeah. is only in Dark Imperium as well. Yeah, but although maybe it's maybe it's in common. And in I all,
2: like what else? <laughs> like for the Mechanicus stuff, honestly, for what he's doing, like a couple Iron stri- the Iron Striders mm-hmm. are 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 fun and they're decent I, kits. Castellans are also I like, fun. Yeah.
0: Castles robots are cool. The um. The little half tracks—I forget what those are called. Uh, the cataphrads. Cataphrens are just cool models. Yeah, like, the cataphrads like servitors. Yeah. Uh, call is a if you want to go kind
2: of fluffy with it. Call would be a good call. Pickup. Yeah, Call and Bobby then you G. Can just
0: have Call and Bobby G. Kind of hanging out. Yeah. Like.
2: So yeah, there you've got lots of directions you can go. And again, like Call and Bobby G. Are both very effective. I mean, the minute you bring Bobby G. To the table, you've got a big force multiplier there. But yeah, it's it's going to be what is he there to multiply? And if you're just like beer and pretzel and trying to do some narrative fun. What you've got here is a great start for it, and I think for sure. And like the the most powerful thing you've got there is actually the armature Helverins because those yeah. guns are s- ridiculous.
0: Well, and that's the other thing too. If you want to go down that line, like and get into bigger models, like the Imperial Knight stuff is out there. You could easily put an Imperial Knight with Aeon you know, and Questor Mechanicus stuff added in that way. Um, you know, and Bobby G will force multiply that as well. Yeah. Like, there's all sorts of cool options that you have there, and you can go in and. You know, add night, you know, any any of this, if you're kind of keeping it open to Imperium, there's all sorts of cool stuff. You know, if you find like the uh, half of like the Rogue Trader box set, you can throw in, you know, Rogue Traders into this as well. So it's really, you have a lot of options to be able to go out and just find cool models and throw them in and make up a story.
3: Mm -hmm. Inquisitor Kotiaz.
0: Yeah, I mean. Something like this would be great because, yeah, you know, if you're playing it your casually, you can just start throwing in a couple Inquisitors and not have to worry about detachment limits and stuff like right. that. Really have a lot of fun with it.
2: Yeah. All right. Next up, uh, we've got a lot of like little one liner questions that we gathered <laughs> on Facebook. Um, so, one is so, first one we've got from Patrick Day. Patrick writes, Does adding a chainsword to the Premier Sergeant profile mean that every Premier Sergeant has just gone up plus one attack for free? And what he's referring to is. The Intercessor Squad, the new data sheet in chapter approved, has the line The Intercessor Sergeant may either replace their bolt rifle with a chainsword, power sword, or power fist, or take a chainsword, power sword, or power fist in addition to their other weapons, and chainswords have no cost. They're yep. zero cost. So and chainswords let you get one extra attack when you fight. So the question is, does every premier sergeant just go up plus one attack for free? Pretty if much. they're modeled with it, sure. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if you if you wanted if you can slap a chain sword, like even if it's just like hanging from their belt yeah. or something.
0: Well, and the one thing I'll say that's really cool is uh if you can find the Oh, it's one of the, the Horse Heresy it was the second horse heresy box with a thousand sons. So yeah. uh, uh Burning of Prospero. Burning of Prospero. The Mark Four armor that's in that one yeah has a bunch of like sheathed chain swords like as part of just the kit yeah so if you have that lying around you have a bunch of like sheathed chain swords yeah that you can just slap on and like, mm-hmm. boom there you go
2: so yeah
0: uh, and, and honestly for stuff like that with like chain swords bolt pistols stuff like that most most like competitive events are going to be okay with you not having to model all that stuff. yeah like grenades pistols stuff like that don't yeah. usually right so but, yeah, pretty much. For the most part, everyone just went up one attack. Yeah. So which hey, they needed it. Yeah. Like that's that's the type of thing that's actually going to get you to use intercessors more. Mm-hmm.
2: All right. Next up from Blake Mertens. Blake writes: If you blow up a transport with ten guys in it and you can only place five of them, how many dice do you roll to see how many die on ones? That's a that's actually a very good question. Yes. Okay, so here's how the rules work for embarking, disembarking, and if the transport is destroyed. Mm -hmm. So first off, it says, if a transport is destroyed, any units embarked within it immediately disembark, see below, before the transport model is removed, but then you must roll one dice for each model you just set up on the battlefield. Okay. So you don't roll dice until you've placed them. Yep. And then the rule says, any unit that begins its movement phase embarked within a transport can disembark before the transport moves when it... Unit disembark, set it up on the battlefield so that all of its models are within three inches of the transport, not within an inch of any enemy models. Any disembarking model that cannot be set up in this way is slain. So if you have ten models, you can only and there's only space to legally place five of them. The five that you couldn't place are not set up. They're yep, just slain, slain outright. And then then you would roll five dice, because you roll a D6 for every model you just set up. Okay. Yeah. So you would only place five. And that's also why you roll to see, if I remember right, like when a unit just explodes. Yeah, you roll to see if the if the vehicle explodes. You roll to see if the vehicle explodes before
0: you, Ooh, disembark. you disembark or do anything else. Right, yeah, because right.
2: they're not affected by the yes. explosion because they're already affected by the vehicle being destroyed. Exactly, right. All right, next up is from Ian Ho. Ian writes, what do you think about point changes but no power level changes? And again, this is something we were talking about at yeah. lunch because yeah. I I played Grey
3: Knights today and I we did power level builds mm-hmm. so like the changes in chapter approved did nothing really for same for Tau yeah same for, Tau. Same, yeah, for same, same for, for Tau. Eldar
0: um my I'm you know doing a hundred PL for LVO friendly and most of my chaos lists come in at about between 17 and 1800 points mm-hmm. uh who, who was who was the one that had the list that was over 2000 orcs. Um, orcs. orcs my, orcs. my so, Eldar were actually over 2000 yeah. as well so there's a couple of them that like you know the points impacts like still allow you to get a big one because like last year at lvo my death guard list was like 2100 points mm-hmm. but now it's only like again it's only like 18 or 1900 because yeah. of points
2: drops I don't know what you guys are talking about. My sister's list was completely affected by chapter approved on power level. Well, I mean and that's that,
0: true, but <laughs> although a lot I mean, of so honestly,
2: the, a lot of the units didn't change. I mean, that so much. were the
0: eight. They 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 have yeah. you know new power level. Yeah. No, um,
2: they have a power level now. They have a power level. <laughs>
0: yeah, I'm a little bit disappointed. I was hoping there would be some adjustments to power level as well, yeah. but I also understand why there isn't. And I understand as we mentioned at lunch, like it's meant to kind of be a different way to play the game. Yeah. And it's not meant to really be an Agolas of like, you know, well, you know, points and power level shouldn't always exactly be
2: the same. Like I uh, you know, at, at the same time though, when you have some units that have had significant drops in, in point yeah. values, like Wraith Knights, for example, dropped yeah. you know, what, nearly uh, over a hundred points. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh the Repulsor and the Redemptor Dread, yeah. those dropped like fifty, sixty points. A lot of units, if you add in all the all the point drops, they dropped like thirty, forty points. It would be nice to see some of those units maybe pulled down a little mm-hmm. bit on power level.
1: But on the flip side there are some that are overcosted in points that I can only use in power level games yeah. True. like Neo. I mean yeah. just being 666 points is just silly. Yeah, no, it's dumb. <laughs> and so I'm not using her in in match play but in power levels I can.
2: Well because we talked about she's she's 666 points but she's 24 PL. Yeah. Which like Knights uh, are generally between like twenty three and twenty five, and they come in usually around five hundred some. Yeah, points. like
0: the Lord of Skulls is under six hundred points and is like twenty eight pl. Yeah, like it's. I mean there,
1: the,
2: there the two things, the yeah. two systems
1: are not comp- equal or compatible anymore. Yeah. They're they're just totally two systems. They start out the same in Index Forty K. Yeah, but yeah. as you get more and more, and especially with chapter proofs and other point drops, they've kind of diverged.
0: Yeah. At I would I would like to see them make updates to PL at some point. But, but yeah, I don't the, know the flip if that's side of that focus.
1: is if they update PL, they really have to update a data sheet because if you update points mm-hmm. it's just like here's a new chart for you. Yeah, that's true. And so that would be a, a lot of Yeah,
2: a lot of the a lot of the units have like it starts at three, and then you can add two to get to five, mm. like plus one or plus two pl, and then you can add up to another five for yeah. another like three or four pl. It's it's not linear progression necessarily. Yeah. A lot of times it is. A lot of like depending on what model it, unit it is, sometimes it just doubles the pl for well, like-, like if you go over the initial size up to the next unit, but.
0: Well, for like Custode, you're adding pl per model,
2: yeah, you know, stuff like that. So they're all a little bit different. Yeah, it
0: would require then reprint data data so, sheets I mean, and that's I'm talking codexes at that point. Either
1: codexes or um, it, it, more it, it, books.
0: Yeah, yeah, and maybe that's something we'll see going forward. Like they have, they did reprint a couple data sheets in Chapter Approved. They yeah. did
2: put a couple data sheets in Vigilus. So yeah.
0: maybe so more we'll campaign see stuff like books. That. Yeah. yeah, with campaign books.
2: Yeah, it's an opportunity to to retool things kind of piecemeal.
0: I also don't think it's their priority. I think their priority is much
2: more points.
1: Right, because that's
0: what match play
1: is all about, points. It's not about power level.
2: Yeah, power level is not a place for fine-tuning. And also, as you said, there are units that work better at power level right now than they do at points. And also,
1: I I like power level for the ease of getting, like, if, if the beer and pretzel style of, like, I don't want to have to think about, do I get this upgrade or not? I'm like, oh, yeah, just throw it on there. Yeah. that's Yeah. I mean, you even did that with sisters.
2: Yeah, I was like, oh, wait, I don't have to, like, play as lean and mean as I possibly can. I can throw, like, the plasma pistols on all the sergeants, and I can, you know, the sister superiors, and I can... Make sure to take the extra relics and things Mm -hmm. like that. Well, I mean, relics don't cost points, but you know, it's just like, just making sure, like, I've got all the, like, all the bells and whistles because I don't need to, to worry about points. And that's, that, yeah, for, for PL play, it's just, it's a, it's a different beast. And if you're coming to PL looking at for a tightly balanced game, it, it would be nice if there was a, like you said, a little bit more, uh, or less disparity between points and PL, but it's never meant to be like 20 P- points is 1 PL. That's yeah. not really...
1: Yeah, That that's kind of... It felt like that was the guideline-ish when indexes mm-hmm. came out because most of them adhered to something similar to that, but now they're, they're yeah. different.
2: Yeah. And I think... On average, like we found 100 PL comes in usually between 17 and 1800 points. But as you said, it could be over 2,000 depending yeah. on the. Well, and, like, the so, and like I said,
0: last year before, you know, two, well, what, three FAQs and, well, I guess two FAQs in the chapter approved ago.
2: Yeah. Um, it was closer to 2,000 points yeah. for 100 Index PL, 40K so.
1: was more around 2,000 yeah. PL. Mm-hmm.
2: Yep. But yeah, power level changes are a little bit harder to pull off. But I'd like, to, again, it's one of those things like mm-hmm. maybe in the next year we'll start seeing. Some of these revisited a little bit. Yeah. Otherwise, I mean, you could release a lot of errata that would basically say uh, change this parrot line to say this, and but that gets real messy. I mean, eventually you get yeah. to the point where your chapter approved is the old chapter approved, where you're cutting out pieces and gluing them over your codex. I don't, don't kind of want- like Richard, Richard that does that. his Yeah, yeah. I don't want
0: to get to that point. <laughs>
2: I'd see next up from uh, Benjamin Gordon. If I'm not too late, would the Indominus Crusaders detachment be able to be used on Dark Angels? It only says Space Marines, not the keyword. So, here's what the Vigilist book says on the Indominus Crusaders. It says, Indominus Crusaders, Specialist Detachment Stratagem... Um, if your army's Battleforged, you can use the Specialist attachments below. Uh, use the stratagem when choosing your army. Pick a Space Marines detachment from your army to be an Indominus Crusader Specialist detachment. Primaris Captains, Primaris Lieutenants, Primaris Ancients, Intercessor Squads, and Inceptor Squads in the detachment gain the Indominus Crusader keyword. And the thing is, despite the fact that a Dark Angels are a kind of Space Marine... They're not a Space Marine They're detachment. not a Space Marine detachment. They're a Dark Angels detachment, which yep. is weird, but... if Basically, if you go to the Space Marines codex on page 194, in the rules described in this section, we often refer to Space Marines units. This is shorthand for any Adeptus Astartes, keyword Adeptus Astartes Mm. unit, with the following faction keywords. Chapter, Ultramarines, Imperial Fists, Salamanders... White Scars, Raven Guard, Iron Hands, Crimson Fists, or Black Templars. A Space Marines Detachment is, therefore, one which only includes units with one of these keywords. Note that other Space Marine chapters, each or er, such as the Blood Angels and Space Wolves, deviate significantly in terms of organization and fighting styles. These chapters, therefore, cannot make use of any of the rules or abilities listed in this section and instead have their own rules. So, a Space Marines Detachment is specifically ones mm-hmm. that have... Those keywords and that right. is from the Codex. So okay. So the Dark Angels one, they have the Dark Angels keyword. Mm-hmm. They're not a Space Marines detachment. Yeah. They are a Dark Angels detachment. So you can't
0: use that for Space Wolves, Blood Angels, Dark no. Angels, Death nope. Watch, etc. Yeah, okay. it is
2: meant solely for the vanilla Marines. Yep. So yeah. Hopefully that makes sense. It's one of those things where they don't they didn't put it in the Vigilist book, mm-hmm. but that's because. Vigilus just builds on top of the existing codexes. You have to know those codexes yep. to,
0: and they might FAQ that going forward to like allow for other Space Marine factions or whatever. But mm. I doubt they will.
2: Right. Well, and also the the units that went on the Adominus Crusade were specifically like Ultramarines mm. and, and like vanilla Marine types because like Ball and Caliban yeah. and stuff you know, kind of got reached later,
0: and I and I imagine that. I mean, because we know that there's at least one more Vigilus book coming. Yeah, um, there's the 80 day countdown, or which is at like 68 <sighs> days or something now. Right. Um, but and then we know there'll be other books coming. I guarantee other fa- you know those other factions will get their own.
2: Well, and also stuff. like Raven, like they've got Ravenwing detachment and Vigilus. I wouldn't be surprised if we see a Deathwing, mm-hmm. w- you know, with because we know there are fallen in the group that's hmm that's a atta- like in the black legion group that's attacking so we've got raven like the raven wing at one point peel off to go de- right. try to track down a fallen which means we're gonna get a deathwing detachment of some sure. sort for sure so um so yeah so hopefully benjamin that answers the question uh next up danny how writes narr- who danny is a get you know has been on the show before in our painting 101 never oh, heard of him yeah Really? <laughs> <laughs> so Danny writes narrative play. How would one score the narrative aspects of an army beyond its paint score and list structure? So uh, we have an answer for that. Yeah. I mean, I think the way we've decided to do it is to kind of
0: include the fluff background as well and have like that, you know, the hobby score, not just be painting, but also list construction and fluff. Yeah. Um. And that's one way to do it. There's there's a you know, there's as many different ways to do it as you can come up with. Um. The way we've chosen for our friendly is to, you know, part of the score is going to be ha- army presentation, display board, f- fluff, what unit you're taking, you know, what your theme is. Yeah.
2: Um, and then but- that's voted on by, like, the players you play against give you a score. Yes. They decide, like, on a, I think it's, like, on a one through three scale per yeah. round. So like how many like how many points they give your theme and then there's usually a few extra points for like the judges because you'll end up with a lot of like mm-hmm. max scores so then it's you know comes so down to judge fiat yeah but but yeah I
0: mean that does a couple of things it allows you to judge not just on the paint you know your ability to paint it, it allows you to judge just not on your, your ability to like with the display board but it also allows the other people in the event to have input as well and that yeah. that's the whole big thing for me is like the friendly event, you know, we've we're trying to take into account your, you know, your generalship paint score army theme, but also giving the judge, you know, having the judge decide on something, having the players decide on something, and then having just the win loss decide it. Yeah. So that it's not a it's gonna be way easier for me to run,
2: <laughs> but also, you know, it, it, it allows a more collaborative feel to the whole Yeah. Event. And I think that's the thing, especially with, you know, with a friendly. To some extent, yes, but definitely with a narrative because narrative is basically it's collaborative storytelling through wargaming. For sure. So in a collaborative environment like that, you do want like the players who play against, who you play against to be the ones to like look at your army, look at your theme and like, hey, no, that actually I see where you're going with this. I kind of like what you did here. Mm -hmm. And then you could also have like, you know, to an extent you can have like the players outside of that maybe vote for which army they thought had the best theme. Kind of like you'd vote for best painted. But yeah, I really do think. You know, you don't want that to just be like, I am the judge and I have decided yours is the coolest. Yeah. It it should definitely be a group of, you know, it should be a group input, group effort to determine who's got the best thing. But yeah, just having something like that where it's like, you know, what is the the narrative aspect of the army? Well, that's going to be the side story that you wrote. the, The paint, not just the hobby, the quality of the paint job, but what is your paint job? Tell me about like, it, do I see, like, it, this is a, a an orc wall made up of, like, mostly from two different clans. Do I see the two different clans represented, not just, like, the quality of the paint, but also, like, do I see a bunch of yellow mm. armor for bad moons and a bunch of black and white checks for Goffs? And do I see them together? You know, it's like, ha- and then do it? Do you, are you actually playing that and like focusing like, yeah, the bad moons have the better armor and the better guns. And then you've got the Goffs who are more your assault units. Am I seeing that reflected in how you're actually building and playing? Because that's all part of the narrative too, mm-hmm. beyond just the hobby aspect. So that that's what you have the other players. Because the players who are going to ha- be able to, to judge the best are the ones who are actually playing against the army and seeing how you play it. And then a question from Alex Hunt, uh, another uh, obviously guest on the show, been on, on a few times now. Alex writes, what would be a good way of doing hobby scores and events? Would you want to see a unified painting rubric with examples, <laughs> formatting, etc.? We have scoring systems down for battle points, but with hobby scores being subjective, I'm interested in hearing how other, hearing other points of view. And uh, we've seen everything from, like there's the mm-hmm. ITC rubric, which is real, ba- like it's like 11 points and it's, then usually with like a few points of like judge, you know, yeah. kind of fiat. Yeah. Um. There's the Adepticon scale, which is like, okay, judging this aspect on like a one through five scale, and mm-hmm. this may not be the most recent Adepticon, but this is like from a few years ago, and we've used this painting rubric where it's like, okay, do they have like the bare, like, are there any models unpainted? Then it's just a zero, mm-hmm. but. Like, did they do highlighting? Like, to what level did they do highlighting on a one through five? To what level did they do basing on a one through five? Conversion, one through five. Or you have this, the style that Renegade used a couple of years ago. And then I think we used last, or this year at Midwest Conquest, which was roughly where does this fall on a scale of like one to 10, 11 mm-hmm. to, tw- you know, it's like, is this a, 10s 20s 30s 40s or 50s and then where do you think it falls and that's much more nebulous and much more based on how is the judge perceiving it and how how does it feel at the time
0: well and there's also events have done in the past like um i think it was iron halo has done it where uh, a lot of it's done by players judging yeah it's like there's
2: there's basically they've they've got a painting rubric that they do on day one and then day two they take like the top six or seven, mm-hmm. and then put those up for and display, first, and have everybody yeah. vote for them. I like that system, yeah. But it doesn't necessarily answer the question of how does how is that initial rubric determined? Well,
0: so I guess I mean for me, and I'm I'm not the world's best painter. Like we're talking to someone who's a way better painter than I am. I like the fact that there are a number of different systems. Um, just like the fact that there are a bunch of different missions. Yep. and there's a bunch of different ways to score battle points. How you tailor your hobby scores is going to determine what type of things you encourage. Yeah. Um, for something like, um, you know, for example, like Wafest, and I don't know if they necessarily do it this way, but maybe their paint rubric uh, weighs a lot heavier on kit bashing because they want to see orc, you know, more orcs and they want to see more kit bash things. Um, and the technique you know, the the fine technical details of the painting isn't as much as like, hey, you did a really cool job, kit bashing this together and making this cool thing. And, and I I, I want to have that flexibility and that freedom to be able to go through and have different events being able to dip- focus on different aspects of the hobby. Mm-hmm. So I I personally want to sh- kind of shy away a little bit from like the grand unified paint judging scale but they're also it's also a lot easier if you have a uh, a format that is that does have structure to it though.
2: The downside yeah. on on a structured format is it takes longer to judge cuz you yes. have to you have to kind of weigh each thing on a on its individual scale and unless you have multiple paint judges going through and making sure that everything gets judged, which you can, you definitely can. Yeah. You can. And,
3: of course, that adds in still, again, the wrinkle of like different paint judges mm-hmm. really are st- even if you are being like really specific with like the different categories and mm-hmm. things, then you're scoring the like the highlighting and the basing and all of those things individually on on a specific scale. Like the judges are still going to score things differently, mm. for sure. sure, just because
2: humans. It is <laughs> it
3: is a subjective thing. Yes, so. it is
2: it is inherently a subjective thing. We're trying to score. I, I think. Uh, If you're going to do the the system where you just kind of eyeball it and then decide where it fits in this band of tens and then where, you know, like, where does it sit in that? Like, which band of tens and then where does it sit in that? I think there you'd have to have, like, your paint judges would really need to be kind of on the – like, maybe start – like, you start off judging, like, maybe the first five or ten armies together just to – make kind of set a baseline, baseline yeah. yeah and then break and then you so. could branch up break off and then do the rest yeah. but even then that still that takes a lot of time yeah the, right. and it with a depending on the size of the event you're you're running you may not have the time to to judge all of that especially day one
0: <laughs> yeah no we we ran into that year one where we we were trying to have i think five or six people look at every army and score every army and then compare them and that just it was just not wasn't,
2: Yeah. And and that was one where we were using that Adepticon rubric mm-hmm. of here's everything broken out. which the good thing about that is you can give that to someone who's not as knowledgeable about painting yeah. and it has everything clearly broken down. Yeah. But the downside is, like I said, it takes time to judge each one of those categories separately. So yeah. I, I don't know until we know until they're unlike battle points where battle points are based off of objective performance yeah painting is so subjective Mm -hmm. i don't know if you can ever actually have a unified system that is also easy and quick to score yeah and although if you know since itc is now doing a hobby track it would actually be in their interest to put forth and they do have a basic painting rubric Mm -hmm. that you can use and that one is is fine it doesn't have it doesn't have as much granularity as some systems but
0: well the interesting thing with that like you said if you for like a GT or something like that, if you have a a lighter starting metric, you know, matrix, you could use that for everything. And then when you get down to your top 10, your top five, whatever, then you can go in and do – take more time and look at harder scores. And yeah. Stuff. So that does beho- – like it does behoove them to have kind of a general matrix out there for people to be able to use because if you're running your own event, y- you may not have time to come up with all this. You may not know the details. It may be really helpful just to have – something to start with. But like I said, I I shy away from just having a grand unified, this is this is the best way to score it because it's art. It's inherently subjective.
2: Yeah. All right, next up, a question from Gerard Ridge. Gerard writes, and this is a question we've been looking forward to all day. <laughs> Would you rather fight 20 duck-sized Abadons or an abaddon sized duck? So,
0: <laughs> we've actually spent a lot of time thinking about this, or at least I have. I mean... <laughs> Ducks are really I mean, nasty. Creatures. Ducks are mean. <laughs> ducks are damn mean. A twelve foot, a ten or twelve foot tall duck is not something I'm looking forward to. But I guess I, I guess I have a baseline question because this is ultimately where it's going to swing for me. Do the twenty duck sized abaddons have the? To have the demon weapon and the talent of Horus each. Or and in it, our inter- fully functional Terminator. And yeah, in Terminator armor. Because if so, I want nothing to do with that. <laughs> yeah. Because it do- turns out it doesn't matter how big he is. If he's got a demon in his sword, it don't matter. <laughs>
2: yeah. <laughs> no, that, no. If he has 20 demons 20 and, 20 swords, and 20 swords, it really don't matter. You're going to lose. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't matter if they're short, they'll
0: take you at the ankles. Or or the difference is, like, does the Abaddon-sized duck, does it have posable thumbs, and can it use a demon sword? (laughs) Because if it's just a duck, like...
2: It's going to be a tough fight. I'm not going to enjoy no, no, it, but I could okay, maybe win a, that. What if the duck is wearing... Ter- what if it's just a, oh, duck, a duck in Terminator, Terminator armor. armor with the claw, with the <laughs> talon and the sword? It's just not Abaddon? Is it
1: Howard? Actually, if no. it's not
2: Abaddon, that means he's a much better fighter. Oh, God. Ooh. Shots fired.
0: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think I would lean towards the Abaddon-sized duck, assuming he can't... You know, doesn't have posable thumbs for swords.
2: (laughs) Also, we haven't even touched about the fact that the Talon of Horus still has a fully functional, like, combi bolter on it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So you'd have 20. Yes, they'd be much smaller combi bolters, but those are still rocker propelled explosive bolts that they're firing.
0: Like, that's still not fun. No. Uh, Yeah. No, I'm going to say as much as ducks are mean things, I'm going with the Abaddon sized duck. (laughs) Yeah,
2: for sure. <laughs> you just leave it the leave it alone let it it's like the 800 pound gorilla yeah just hit Whereas why, if you have inf- is there an abaddon sized duck in this room? Just don't mention it. Just don't make eye contact. Just whereas if you have 20, Ab- 20 duck sized abaddons, that's an infestation. That is an infestation. <laughs> you just burn the house and move on. That's,
3: <laughs> yes, I've seen I've seen gremlins. Yeah, that, that's you don't want it. That's like worse than that. Yeah, because they want it because
2: abaddon doesn't melt when the sun comes out. Right. <laughs> he also doesn't turn
0: into oh. like an evil monster if you pour water on him. So there's that. Yeah. He just starts off that way. He yeah. just starts off that way. So. Yeah. Yeah.
2: <laughs> and our final question, f- uh, which came in from Twitter from at uh, forty k today, is: What vanquished foe are you most proud of this year? Uh, I would have to vanquish a foe to, <laughs> to, yeah, to be yeah, proud. Kinda, of I didn't I'm win a lot of games this year. Yeah,
1: <laughs> I-, I was happy to kill Pinnin and Engines. Yeah, <laughs> they were a nasty foe.
2: Yeah, that's that happened just in the the games we just played. And yeah, although you didn't get them before they they put a little bit of hurt on you. True. So, uh, as far as like games that I you know
0: that I actually did win, which is very few this year, um, I did enjoy playing the, uh, the Depticon guys in the friendly. Yeah. Event, uh, the Even if event. they were, they took they, it easy they on they us. They basically threw the game to us. Uh, but it was still fun to play them and it was still fun to like, yeah. to, you know, to win that game. Uh, as far as like individual, like a vanquished foe, the story that I'm going to tell out of this year is still when, at when, uh, my Karn uh, killed himself in Overwatch. When When he vanquished himself. When he vanquished himself. And he's like, nope, screw it, and just popped himself in the head. Not technically a foe, but, you know, with Corn, everything's kind of a foe, so.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Does he not care where the blood
3: comes
2: from? That's
0: true, yeah. That's true, yeah.
2: (laughs) Um, I'd say mine would be from Iron Halo when I actually managed to grab a Tesseract vault with the Night Gallant using the... Both using the uh, Devastating Reach stratagem and then the Death Grip stratagem. Nice. So cut into it with the Reaper Chainsword and then grabbed it with the fist and just squeezed the Satan inside to death. Nice. <laughs> so that that's that's probably the best vanquished foe. Also, anytime my sisters, even if they have to have knights helping them, anytime my sisters can beat Necrons, it's a good day.
1: <laughs> See, I can't say anything from Iron Halo because I didn't vanquish anybody.
2: <sighs> no, it's n- true. No, you, you vanquished your own expectations. Oh, they were gone day one. You vanquished
0: yeah. the wooden spoon. No, it's still here. But you control it now. I
1: control it. So in a way, you vanquished that wooden oh, spoon. Okay. <laughs> Did you have any? I, I
3: can't think of any. Yeah, right. <laughs> Honestly, because I didn't play. I haven't played that many games this year. So yeah.
0: I will actually say, like the, the in all seriousness, like, the most fun I had, like vanquishing foes of, when we played Blackstone Fortress at, at uh, Renegade. At Renegade. Like, that was a lot of fun. And, like, being able to go... And some of those challenges were really hard. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, that...
3: Upon it, the, thinking about that, yes, that the, that the one very rule. first scenario yes. that that <laughs> I had, like I was all by myself versus a whole bunch of chaos cultists. It was
2: what like fifteen cultists and and yeah. you as the robot. Yeah. Yes, yes, that and was if, actually, if you had been any other character, you would not have survived. I would not, yeah. have.
3: yeah. <laughs> so that that, cool. that was actually that was actually pretty cool. So yeah, yeah, that would probably be my answer. That was a, a group of foes that I yeah. vanquished. There you that go. Was, was pretty gratifying all
2: right and if you have a question if you want to tell us about something you vanquished and uh uh, and you know found satisfying or if it's just a a list we are going to get back to doing list reviews or if you know if you have a question or a, a comment correction on a past episode something you want to send us there's three good ways to do it first off is our emails uh which is our first name at preferredenemies.com. So Rob at Kevin at Dennis at Richard at preferredenemies.com. Uh, secondly, we have our Facebook page, slash preferred enemies. Uh, you can like us there, follow. We post about things that are going on, new uh, news and new releases, etc. Uh, like us there, send us messages. Also, we have a Twitter account, which is at preferredenemy on Twitter, uh, singular and uh you can send us questions there uh, through facebook through email we collate all those together get them together for our uh next episode and read them on the air uh, we also have a patreon if you want to help uh help support the show and help us cover like travel costs uh costs for new equipment uh perks for listeners i'm getting ready to sh- ship off the dice that have uh come in from Chessix. so uh uh, so, yeah, we, we use that to kind of help support and, and do fun stuff with the show. So uh, if you want to support that, uh, it's patreon.com slash preferred enemies. You can give as little as a dollar a month. Uh, and if you don't think a dollar a month is that much, enough people pi- put in a dollar. It all helps out. Absolutely. We're going to take a quick break for sponsor identification. And when we come back, we're going to talk about our year end thoughts on 40K and what we hope to see in 2019. See you in a bit.
1: Miniatures. We build them, we paint them, we love them. That's why we also want to get them to the battle
2: and back again safely. And that's where KR Multicase comes in. They offer a complete model storage and transport system.
0: They offer a wide selection of core trays for standard size miniatures, as well as custom cut trays for specific models.
3: KR's trays are made of a soft foam
1: available in a variety of colors that won't scratch or snag your models. And to protect the foam, the trays are carried in easily stackable, swappable cardboard cases.
2: They also offer a full range of Kaiser bags, backpacks, and aluminum cases for transporting your KR cases. You can even choose from pre-built tray selections to suit your army, or use the
0: Autofill app to find just the right trays for your particular force. Whatever your game, 40K,
3: X-Wing, Warm Hordes, or Historicals, KR Multi-Case has the cases to
1: fit your needs. You can find out more at krmulticase.com.
2: KR Multicase, soft foam for your figures, hard cases for the soft foam. Are you tired of playing on a boring battlefield? Do you want to step up the quality of your gaming table and make your battle look real? Then you need to check
0: out the battle mats from Game Mat. Their professionally designed, rubber-based mats are just what your gaming table needs. Available in a variety of styles, with everything from rolling grasslands to
1: urban war zones, winter wastelands to alien deserts, there's a game mat mat to fit any kind of terrain. Their mats are padded, anti-slip, waterproof,
3: and when you're done rolling dice and battling on your mat, just roll it up and stick it in the convenient
1: carrying bag for easy transport and storage. And if you don't have a gaming table, they've got you covered with their folding Gboard portable gaming area and their line of
0: pre-painted resin terrain. If you're ready to upgrade your gaming table, head over to www.gamemat.eu and find the gaming mat that's right for you.
2: Gamemat, giving your armies the battlefield they deserve. And we're back, so it's time to talk about our main subject, which is... Uh, kind of our thoughts at the end of 2018 and going into 2019 for 40k and I figured we'd start off with, while it's fresh in our minds with the games we just <laughs> played and we're not going to get too deep into the weeds on the individual like games and things that happen in them necessarily but just kind of uh, the for a little bit of background as we said in the first part of the show We did our year-end game. Now, this year we didn't do army swapping Mm -hmm. uh, like we have in past years, but we instead we wanted to kind of give the new uh, Maelstrom of War missions a try because they also have a lot of the same changes like the acceptable casualties and uh, the changes to deployment and such uh, and also it was a chance to try them out mm-hmm. see if how they'd work for our uh, for the friendly tournament that we're doing and also just kind of get a feel for playing you know 100 PL lists and seeing like what does a 100 PL list look like and you know make sure we're kind of the right baseline there yep. and we made sure that we didn't run the same mission twice tonight so we got 4 of the 6 maelstrom missions run i'd say first off you know the thing that was common amongst all of them was obviously the the change to deployment for these yes. missions, and again, these there is no standard rule for deployment. It's all mission based. So it's in the past, it's been alternating deployment, and that's kind of been the accepted model for for deploying armies in tournaments. Uh, these all did. Uh, you would randomly one player would randomly or one player would de, would be randomly determined to be the one who picks or who generates the deployment map Mm -hmm. and picks a deployment zone. So one player gets to pick a deployment zone. The other player gets to deploy their army first. Then the, the player who picked deployment zones deploys their army. And then the player who went, who'd finished deploying their army first can then choose to chooses who goes first. And then if they choose to go first, the player who deployed second can attempt to seize uh this obviously gets rid of a lot of that back and forth action of uh i put somebody in reserve oh uh-huh. you now so now i deploy someone now i put somebody else in reserve while i'm deploying you know so you've got instead of having one player deploying partially blind you've got one player de- deploying completely blind and the other player reacting to them yeah
0: no it's it's very much the 4th 5th 6th 7th edition style mm-hmm. of of deployment and it it's familiar like that's one thing it's like it's very easy to get into because you know, we've done it for so long. Um, I, I do personally think there's a little bit lost in the being able to kind of react to your opponent with each deployment. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, it was also much, much faster. It, it, yeah, yeah, that, you that,
1: know, That was my, my two yeah. points is, yeah. one, it felt a lot faster to get done. Mm-hmm. And two, um, like Kevin said, it's familiar. Yeah. And... I like having the option of both either some missions will be deploy everything and some will be the back and forth. Yep. So I, I like having options.
0: Yeah. No, I, I I hope that a lot of that missions will do both, that they'll kind of go back and you'll and you'll have because it does set up different tactical. Um, d- different tactical like uh, strategies that you have to use. You know, by, okay, well, how do I, do I put this in reserve, do I put this in reserve, do I set this in the open, do I, you know, it, it, a lot of, it does change the way you deploy your stuff. So, I, I would like to
2: see both, Mm -hmm. both used. Um, And I know, like, Reese Robbins has already said, like, ITC is not using that. They're, they're sticking with the alternating method for right now. Um, A couple things I will note, uh, especially coming from the second game I played with Dennis was that uh, he ended up generating the deployment map, and we like we were doing the very pointy version of Dawn of War, which then I de- so he deployed he picked a deployment zone. So then I deployed first. So I p- deployed my stuff. Because a lot of my, some of the elements of my army are very like I I used three penitent engines. I used a a rhino full of repentia. I had all that stuff forward, ready to go, so I could make. I didn't wasn't necessarily going to go for a turn one deploy or turn one assault, but I definitely wanted to be in position for a turn two assault, and I
1: needed to have him have a turn three or four assault Mm -hmm. would make me happier. Mm
2: -hmm. Right, and so you responded rather than the back and forth where. Okay, where I see where he's deploying, so I'm gonna change like maybe I'm gonna to try to do see where he's going while well, I'll do a like I'll, I'll do a refused flank and you know just go like go completely on one side or the other. Um he was able to deploy everything hidden, so my first turn would have been absolutely useless.
1: Yeah. No, it wouldn't have been you would have came out into the open so I could shoot you.
2: Well, it would have been useless to me. Oh, how about okay. that. how about that? Uh but so in response, because I had finished deploying first. I had the option. I wasn't just, I automatically go first. Mm-hmm. I had the option to choose, do I want to go first or second? So then I chose, I'm going to go second because I want him, I want to pull him out of his hiding spot a little bit and force him to come interact with me. And it, it did, it did force him out, not as much as I might, maybe would have liked, but. It kept me from having just a completely wasted first turn, and by doing that by choosing to go second, he also like there was no seizing like mm-hmm. i can't I can't go second and then seize and, tr- and try to go first after all anyway yes. and and that was one thing I noticed is that in all these games, because you know who's go- who's got the option to go first or second, seizing felt more important than it does in in the standard missions,
0: yeah, yeah when you do the alternating deployment, seizing always felt a little weird. Because it's a
2: random chance to go first anyway.
0: Yeah. So I, I will say like that seizing makes more sense if you're gonna do one you know, one side deploys, the other side deploys. Um so I, I do I do agree with that. Like that makes a little more sense. I don't know that anybody remembered it or used it, but there is the stratagem now of like basically that turn. Everything's cover. in cover. Yeah, um, I don't we I I, th- I don't think we you, we didn't use it in our game, I don't no. think we used it in our first game. Yeah. I mean, that's plain Toad's... Covered didn't really matter but uh having that available mitigates some of the problems in the past that i've had with deploying you know going second in the you know deploying second in that environment where it's like oh, i deploy everything and i know i'm gonna go second like i i, I don't know i i would i want to play with it a little bit more and see wh- how it works but I, I can definitely see the benefits
2: in both sides yeah but and both types yeah and it definitely it takes out that little extra bit of time and obviously time has always been yep. an issue especially with eighth edition where deployment is a much long you know it's practically yeah. its own phase of the game it is and again this this kind of sets up a little bit of it's not exactly but it's a little bit of like an a- attacker defender kind of feel mm-hmm. where like one player is going to play n- is deploying not knowing where their opponent is Going to be the other, their opponent gets to deploy completely reactionary to them, or just decide. Okay, you've put your stuff out there. Now I know exactly where, like the fastest way to get to you. Yeah. So i I still kind of like that. I like that a little. In some ways, I like that more than the piecemeal. But yeah, I think there's value to both systems. But this is just—it's a good alternative to have.
0: It's good to have both in there, and it's a—it's good mission design for them to be putting everything in the missions, so that you could do. You can do things like the deployments. You can do things like the tactical restraint or the, you know. uh, Refined strategy was the Refined strategy or, you know, or or these other things where it's like, yeah, this one you get to ditch certain tactical objectives or this one you – tactical objectives are generated this way or objectives. Or Uh, objectives or objectives or objectives. Or, you know, or just the main objectives are done this way (laughs) or, you know. Or like okay, we're like yeah. the, the where, where where the tokens you know, how, are. Placed. Yeah, how the six objectives or the four objectives are yeah. are set up, because that's all in the mission rather than here's your standard way of doing it, then here's a few things extra. It's it's all it's there on that one page. So you actually do have the ability to like customize it more in a lot of ways.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also uh, speaking of the refined strategy rule for the Maelstrom missions. I really liked that, and it's it's something we've actually talked about now. Mm-hmm. As we've said in the past, for like, yeah, in Maelstrom, maybe it'd be better to cut down your deck a little bit. Having this where you could cut down your deck based on what your opponent is playing, yeah, I th- I thought was very nice because like like both games, I didn't play against any psychers, so I could pull out the one where kill a psycher, don't mm-hmm. care, or you don't have anybody that flies, I'll take out the sky of the skies because I there's no th- I, there's no way for me to score it.
0: Like well, I was playing. Uh Tau against orcs, I'm not gonna take the one that says I have to advance out of my deployment zone because I'm gonna be on the back heel the whole game. Mm-hmm. So well, I'm not gonna, even gonna try for that one.
2: <laughs> yep. Uh, so you yeah, know that was being able to streamline that down a bit mm-hmm. uh, was very good. And then the actual the individual missions that we played. So first first ground, we played uh what was it? Tactical <laughs> cascade. Tactical cascade, which was interesting in that uh the first turn, we actually got to pick which objectives we wanted. I really liked that. So like we could each pick two objectives, and those were good would be our first turn objectives. But then the interesting point was then for every objective we achieved on the previous battle round, when it came time on our turn to generate new objectives, and we did we did as the book is, where you score them like you generate at the top of the round top of the turn, you score at the bottom of each turn. Mm-hmm. Or at the end of each turn, yeah. so you've got two opportunities to score, but only one to generate. But when you generate the objective, instead of generating one objective, you generate two objectives with a maximum of six per turn. So if you cho- accomplished three objectives, you would generate six objectives. Mm-hmm. But the downside was for every three objectives you didn't you you had at the end of the game that you hadn't achieved, you lost a point. Yeah.
0: I ended up losing, like, three or four points at the end because I had just a bunch of them that I couldn't completely achieve. Um, Yeah, I don't think it mattered. I think you beat me by enough anyway, regardless of that. But it it was interesting, though. Like, there was a couple of times where I'm like, is it worth it to complete this objective to then have to generate two next time and end up losing points? Yeah. So, no, that, that was a neat one. I enjoyed that one a lot.
2: Yeah guess on
1: our side, ours was... I didn't find the other mission name.
0: Uh, it, was, it was the first one. Uh, disruptive Signals? Yes. yes,
1: Disruptive Signals, which... It was interesting. It's where if... After someone generates their objectives, you can spend one CP to say, no, you can't score this one this turn.
3: Yeah, which... It- just a, a bit
1: of a delay tactic for the most part. Yeah, that, that's really all it was, was a delay tactic. Because, I mean, the one time Richard did it to me, I just, well, I'm not going to score that this turn, so I'll just go do something else, and the next turn I'll run my people over to kill your dude. Nice. So it, it yeah. I mean, it, it didn't feel special, but it just, it was just something there.
2: Yeah. Uh, and then the second round, Dennis, you and I played... uh visions of victory?
1: Mm, does, no, I thought it was
2: No, it was visions of victory with the unreliable advice. Oh yes,
1: unreliable advice, yes. So
2: yeah, that was the rule inside this one. So and so this one was fun because basically every time we generated an objective, including the four you generated at the start of your first turn, you actually generate for each one, you'd actually generate two and then your opponent would pick which one of those two you got to have. Nice.
1: I I actually liked this one. Of the four that we've done, this was probably the one I enjoyed the most.
2: Because, yeah, it's like, oh, you're going to pick – so, like, here's two. One is an objective that's already, like, in your deployment zone that you have troops near. The other one is uh, kill a unit and assault on turn one. Yeah, you're going to take the kill a unit and assault. Right. Because it's like, which one do I think you're least likely to obtain – near to achieve? Uh, you'll have that one. And then every time – so, then, like, oh, I, have, I finished two objectives. On my next turn, I'm going to generate – one. I'm going to generate two more. No, nope, I'm going to generate four more, and you're going to pick like two pairs of two, and you're going to pick which ones I I get. In in a way,
1: I, the other thing I like about this is it felt like because sometimes the complaint about Maelstrom is well, one person got all the easy ones and I got all the hard ones, so that's why they won because the deck was against me. Yeah. In this, I mean, it's a lot harder for a deck to be against you because. They'd have to pull two easy ones, and then you just pick the less easier of the two. Yeah. Which, I mean, it could still happen, but it seemed to, in my mind, balance that out more.
2: Right. Or, like, kind of the things where, like, we were doing, like, oh, you've got a secure objective or a defend objective. I'm going to make you take the defend objective because you've got to sit there longer, and that gives me more of a chance to react to react to you and, and push you off of it. Yes, you might get more points, but I think I can, you know, push you off. Just, you know, stuff like that. It, yeah, it, it, yeah, it kept that... Yeah, kept that from kind of getting out of control, and and it was more of a you know m- tactically back and forth. Uh, so yeah, no, that one was yeah, a lot of fun.
1: Because one time I I specifically picked one to make sure you came close to me so I could like finish off a unit. Yep, and you did, so I was happy. Yep, but you scored a point, but I got to kill like a unit, so mm-hmm. it was a trade
2: off. Mm-hmm. Nice. And then you guys got what decapitation strike for your last one? Uh, yes, yes, decapitation strike. So effectively.
0: You generated three uh, tactical objectives each turn, and then if you lost a – every time a character was killed, your your opponent got to choose one of your active objectives to discard. And that was interesting for me because I was playing the – I was using Farsight 8. Uh, so I had like 11 characters total in my army. Yeah. <laughs> so, and I lost a bunch. <laughs> yeah. Of course,
3: I, I had a decent, yeah. actually had a decent number of characters yeah. in my orc army. I was doing speed freaks. So mm-hmm. I had like, you know, a war boss on a bike and two death kill war trikes and a pain boy on a bike. Yeah. And, and a war boss and a big mac. So,
0: I, I could it was fun it, I enjoyed yeah. it like we it came up a couple of times like it it didn't it was nice because it was wasn't um it wasn't intrusive like even with as many yeah. characters we had it still only came up four four or five times total right um because characters are hard to kill you know it wasn't it wasn't a, like every single time something came up you stopped the game and figured it out it was oh this happened right um I could see it being frustrating. Uh, for some armies versus others. Uh, Like, for example, I'm playing with 11 characters, and I'm facing... (coughs) uh, my elder army, you only had two. Right, yeah. I would say something like an elder army that only has two, or Necrons that don't... Well, I guess Necrons can build out a lot of characters.
2: I'm trying to think of some an army that... Like, maybe a knight's army that only has one.
0: Maybe a knight's army that has one character. And it's um, a a knight. And it's a knight. Like, I could see that being a little frustrating. um, But... I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was thought it was a neat. I thought it was a neat subtle tweak to
2: the. Yeah. Game. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, and we ended up tying that game. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the two we didn't end up playing were strategic gamble, where uh, the mission. Okay, so at the start, this one was at the start of each player's turn. After they've generated new objectives, the player can choose to discard two objectives to generate a new one. If you're able to score, achieve the newly. Generated objective by the end of this turn, you score double points. So you could trade two, hmm. two for one, but possibly get double. So that kind of that uh, I'm gonna trade like the yeah. in Renegade where it was like I'm gonna trade two of my kill like kill a units to try to kill three units, but if mm-hmm. I can get three units, I get like more points.
1: Yeah. Well, it sounds like that one was also a good way to ditch once you don't think you can There's do that yeah. because that that was another problem we had in ours was I got at one point stuck. And I didn't have. I didn't want to spend command points to ditch to get more. So I'm yeah. like, okay, I guess I'm gonna live with these.
2: Yeah. <laughs> I think you did eventually spend a couple of command points to get rid Early of Early on when I had
1: actually had command points.
2: Yeah. Well and I remember like I like one of the ones you that came up was when you hadn't pulled from your deck that required you to have a psyker.
1: I pulled six from my deck, but yeah, there, there's probably like more than six that I couldn't accomplish with this army,
2: right? And so I'm like, Well, it came up with one you could accomplish when you drew, drew two, and I'm like, Yeah, I'm gonna have to make you get the one that you can't actually achieve with kind of a dick move, but yeah, I yeah, I spent my two command points and got rid of it, yep. Mm-hmm.
1: And so it sounds like this is another way people can just get rid of ones that yeah they yeah. don't need.
2: And then the last one for, uh, that we the one last one we didn't do was scars of battle, which was at the top of the first battle round, but before the first. So let's see. Everybody has you know you generate up to three objectives at the beginning of your turn. Uh, at the start of the first battle round, but before the first pl- turn begins, each player rolls a d6. On a one, that player cannot generate tactical objectives numbered 11 through 16 in this mission on a two, twenty-one through 26 and so on you remove those cards from your deck in addition to the ones you remove from refined strategy so that one is just you just don't have access to all the deck
0: yeah and that one's interesting because it it limits you to only ever having three active ones so like you're potentially removing 12 cards out of the deck yeah um but it doesn't it doesn't seem like it'll cascade and, like, ever get where, like, you'll mill through the whole deck still. Which it
2: would suck nice. to roll a one, though, because just because the secure objective ones are easy ones to grab. Or if you're playing well, your faction, those are all your faction. Those are all your faction ones, ones yeah. 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 So that one, that could... It could hurt you more or less depending on, like, which which ones you've already pulled. And, yeah. Because that's the thing. This happens... Because you ref- do refine strategy before the battle even begins, so yep. before you, so you would pull six out of your up to six out of your deck, and then you might pu- then you are going to pull another six out of your deck.
1: So yeah, up to six, I mean
2: up
0: to six. So in this case, this may be one where like you pull out the ones that you can't like manifest psychic power stuff like that,
1: and then you roll a number that would have got rid of them anyway.
0: Yeah, it's like so you keep as many in there as possible, and then you roll and just hope you. Yeah, so yeah, so I don't we- know. That, that's that's an interesting one. <laughs> But I think they're all neat. They're all neat. uh, They're all neat twists on Maelstrom, and I think the refined strategy definitely is a neat way to to take some of the randomness out of the deck. Mm -hmm.
2: So yeah, it was definitely a a fun way, fun way to play. It was a nice twist on on the Maelstrom missions, Mm -hmm. and it didn't have some of the issues with other Maelstrom in the past. Where it's like I will end up having like no objectives at the end of the game that I can achieve or I will have like I don't get any objectives first turn and then by the end of the game I've got more objectives than I can pop but I don't have the units to actually achieve yeah. them anymore now I I liked these I felt that they were they they added nice little twists but again kind of again going back to that like Pimpcron uh, mission they weren't huge changes they was just like one change between them that would Change up how you know how the missions were generated, which then completely changed up the dynamic of the game without having to be huge. Yeah. As far as I, I will give a brief, you know, one game uh, <laughs> update on my feeling on the sisters, since that's something else we talked about last episode yeah. when we did chapter approved. Um, I the okay, so I guess taking it from the top, Penitent engines are just as awesome as I thought they'd be. Feel the feel no pain on them. is A five up feel no pain is ridiculously good, and Dennis was also impressed by how often my dice were rolling fives and sixes. You just had hot dice tonight. I did have hot dice tonight in that, and yeah, there was like one point where the avatar, the avatar of Cain, hit him with the wailing the, w- the wailing doom. For five four, wounds, or for no, for four wounds. It was four it was wounds. Four, okay, it was four wounds. You did five earlier. So. Yeah, but it was like four wounds. Six 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 five for my feel no pains. Nice. Just like, yeah, come on, bring it. Yeah. Uh but what yeah. Pennant engines were fantastic. Bloody rose, uh, Repentia, especially and I did pull off the uh the passion where they attacked twice. Nice. And they got work done. Um and then again got into Dennis's back lines and forced him to deal with them.
1: I still say they, they were your MVP of the fight.
2: They were the, Well, yeah, because they, they single-handedly took out the three support battery guns. Which was
1: just wrecking you.
2: Yeah. Well, because the D-cannons don't need line of sight to fire. Oh, nice. So he had them parked by, behind a building. And so I had to get something in there, and the Repentio were able to just move in. And, like, I think turn two, I had them. Or no, turn three. Yeah, yeah turn three, I had them in, in his lines. Nice. Um but yeah, they were good. Uh Celestine is still good. The yeah. even even toning her down a little bit, I like she's still just as effective and nasty as she would. The Gemini worked just killed her. You did kill her twice. Yep. Which I mean that's gonna happen in yeah. a lot of games, but uh well, But I
1: think the only reason I did was because she can't jump across
2: the board. Right. Yeah yeah, that that but that was something they needed to tone yeah. down. It was it was too abusive. Um I'm still I'm still mixed feelings on the active faith system. I think a couple of them need to, like, Hand of the Emperor, which is the three inches movement, like I said last episode. If I'm paying for it and then rolling to see if it happens or not, it should be more than three inches. Yep. I would agree with that. Now, I did manage to, like, I took... So I took a Bloody Rose detachment for the, the Repentia, and then I took Ebon Chalice for everybody else. So everybody else had plus one to to or plus 1 on test of faith and then I had simulacrums and all my battle sister units so they had an extra plus 1 so like I was pulling off like I was getting a lot of them on twos so even
1: though you're rolling fives and sixes so
2: yeah but yeah a lot of them I was getting you know I could I could get them consistently mm-hmm. but and I, again, I understand why they took away, like, the action economy, because as we've seen, Inari goes, o- like, action economy goes overboard very quickly, and the only way to scale up the axe of Faith system is to not do that. So I get why they did it. Um, I do, and, and I'm still learning the timing on them, because it's not at the beginning of the turn anymore like it used to be. It's like, this one you use on this phase, this one you use in this phase. Um, that, so there's going to be a little bit more of a learning process for sisters players. I do I I, there's a few tweaks to it. Uh, Some of the difficulties I think should be a little bit lower. I and I know we talked about last episode. I don't like spending a currency that I have a limited supply of Mm -hmm. to have an effect that might not happen. Yeah. Uh, Well, I I guess I mean I I
0: definitely appreciate that. Like I don't want to spend stuff, spend resources on things that may not happen. But especially when it's like not even like a super useful benefit. Like uh, like we talked about with the movement one, three inches of movement. To like spin points and roll and like not even like a super easy roll, yeah. Ah, it it doesn't feel like it's worth it for three inches of movement. For six inches of movement, maybe. Yeah, you know. So I, I, it's there's there's balance points, and I think they just need you know. They'll, I mean, I'm sure you'll send in feedback. Yeah. Um,
1: also, the fight one was is probably okay where it's at now. Yeah. It is very. It's, it is it's very. Powerful. Oh my gosh, nasty! Because
2: on the right units, yeah, it can it it can make or break a game. Being able to fight twice is so
1: good. Oh yeah. And I got to see that from both Penitent Engines and the Repentia. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause Celestine tried, but she she failed, so I was so happy about that. Otherwise she might have wiped another unit out.
2: Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I mean if, for the most part, like a lot of the sisters, they play the way they did in Index, so they're most of them are fine. Uh the like just little change like the Exorcists doing D six instead of D three damage made a big difference. Oh, totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, that was be- a
1: change they needed to make too.
2: Yeah. So I mean, for the most part, I think other than yeah, and obviously this is one one data point. I need to play the play more with the with the new sisters. For the most part, they're okay. They're def- I think they're a mid tier army. The axe of fate. They're not nearly as powerful as they used to be. And I think we again we talked at lunch and talked about how they may have swung the pendulum too far in one direction. But hoping to get feedback to see if where where to swing it back to, so yeah, because I know they don't want to take it all the way the other the other direction. So it would just it's finding the happy medium, and and we're not quite there yet. But I think that's why they're collecting the feedback on this on yeah. this book.
0: No, it's just it's good to see that they're get it, that they're taking feedback as well, though. Like it's I think it's a very in- interesting insight into the design process from the models and the codec side to see them do like
2: see what they're doing with sisters. And I, I, they just, I think it's very cool. All right. So that's kind of like the, the end of our chapter. twenty. 20- well, uh,
0: the other thing I want to say is the eight was a lot of fun to play. Okay. Um, having all of those characters back and like all those rules that we had in, you know, sixth edition, whenever, the, yeah. when Farsadon Clays first came out was super cool. Um, Oblatai and Ovesa are like the best possible versions of a o- broadside mm-hmm. tide mm-hmm. and a broadside. And that was fun uh the commanders are neat but less optimized versions of what you would probably take normally yeah um but it was still really cool to have like the Six fusion of them. blades yeah yeah just the numbers and you know, having the fusion blades and having you know the uh, you know the the onager gauntlet and things like that that don't that aren't you know as widely available in other ways so like, i thought it was very cool to have those um it doesn't it's not a super competitive um Formation, but it was a lot of fun to play.
2: Yeah, and that—that's that. I think that's what you want out of them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If they were a powerhouse unit, that would be that would, that be, would bad. be bad. Yeah, that would be bad. Yeah, yeah. All right, so I think that kind of wraps up our last bit of our chapter approved 2018 mm-hmm. coverage. So moving from 2018 to 2019, um, just going to keep this kind of simple because, like I said, it's late. It's and yeah. we're all tired. Uh, but just three basic questions. We'll go around the table for each one. What was your favorite thing for 40k? 2018, whether it's a, a unit, a codex, an event, whatever. So favorite thing for 40K for 2018? Your least favorite thing for 2018? And what would you like to see the most out of 40K in 2019? So, um, I'm going to start with you, Kevin, on okay. what, did, what did you like the most? So, the big thing that I liked the most is the fact that we had a full
0: year of FAQs and chapter approved, and like, The game effectively got rebalanced multiple times throughout the year. Um, there were, it, it felt like there were long stretches of knights dominating or smash captains dominating or, um, the game, you know, the game being played in specific ways, like, oh, this, this meta list is there, but it didn't ever feel, it didn't ever feel like it felt in the past where it's like, okay, this is the only army that's good for six, eight months. Yeah. It's like, this army is dominating. Okay, that may be a problem. We're going to tweak it, and now they're not super overpowered. I, I, I like that interaction with GW of them kind of staying more on top of the game and and keeping the balance better. Mm-hmm. Richard, uh, I I loved
3: Blackstone Fortress. Okay,
2: yeah, it no, and was, it's it's been it awesome.
3: Lots of fun yeah. and
2: really cool models, and I look forward to playing it some more we need to get Dennis into playing it with us, because, yeah, no, you'd, you'd really dig Blackstone Fortress, and it's a lot. I Is still it,
1: would like one of the models from it.
2: Yes, I know you want the Eldar. Yep.
1: So that ranger could also join my ranger squad and be ineffective. <laughs> Dennis. I'm going to be kind of lame and just say Iron Halo. I had a ton of fun at Iron Halo. Losing and horribly? I did lose horribly, <laughs> but I had fun, and that was the, to me, that's the more important part. Mm-hmm. And I mean, yeah, even though I, I lost all six rounds and got a wooden spoon, it was a lot of fun. The people were great, and I'm looking forward to next year of going back. So that was probably my favorite thing. From- my favorite. I mean, I, I can't say highlight because I didn't win anything. <laughs> well, I won a spoon, but
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean... Hey, and a starter set for age, age of Sigmar, so...
1: Yeah, which I already donated to you and Richard, I believe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
2: Let's see. As for me, my favorite thing from 2018... um, Despite the fact that I'm kind of ragging on it, actually the the sisters, well, not really right, but you know I'm criticizing yeah, yeah. it a little bit, but having having the sisters codex actually you know in in a print form, having a real honest to goodness codex to play around with, and the fact that they they have been kind of saying like, yes, we're doing sisters, you know, we're de- redesigning sisters, and they're coming out in 2019, and here's the progress on them, you know, actually. Putting that stuff forward and and getting the stuff out in front of people, which is you know kind of like you know you like the the changes and how they're how they're interacting and trying to rebalance, mm-hmm. they're also just trying to get stuff in front of people as yeah. soon as possible and getting it makes people
1: yeah. more interested yes absolutely it builds up the hype, and also if people feel like they're involved in something, they're more likely to say that they've got some ownership on it that they're going to be interested in buy it and play it and
2: yep, so. All right, so we're going to go around the table in the other direction. So the thing you liked least about 40K in 2018. So, Dennis.
1: Okay, um, I'm gonna channel my. Wait. wait a minute, you go last each. eight.
3: That's either fine. way, okay, that's okay,
2: okay. You want no, 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 that's you okay. Want to, no. You want me to go first? No, no. the other one. No, no. Okay, <laughs> no, no. Fine. No, you're fine. I'll, so I'll, I'll wait go. Wait a minute. <laughs> so I'll go. Okay, I'll go first in this one. Um, something. So, uh, pardon me. Wanted to say the knight codex, just not because I don't like knights. Obviously, I've been playing them, but just there's th- that codex has some balance issues, but I think I'm going to say the, one of the things I liked the least was the sudden flare up from between February or like late January through probably the first half of the year of sportsmanship issues in 40 K. Yeah. Cause there was a, you know, you know, from the, the, the notorious events at Las Vegas Open to uh some of the stuff that went down at smaller events, people taking things, you know, that happened in the game and arguing about them offline, or just people getting called on lists being over, dice being questionable, models not being uh, you know, being modeled in ways that weren't approved and, and then getting called on that, and just some of the some of the very bad feelings that went along with that. And and a lot of the stuff was stuff that was streamed publicly and and was way out there for everyone to see and kind of left a bad, you know, it it wasn't a good look for 40K, which is why ITC has, like, unveiled an official code of conduct for events, like, just in the last week or two. So, uh, I mean, I'm glad that the issue is being addressed now, but I really wish as a player base we would have never gotten to the point where it needed to be addressed. You you would think some of the stuff yeah. would be just common sense and that people would know how to play like decent human beings. But apparently you have to send somebody in to, to be a be a ref because some people can't be trusted to do that. And that's that's the thing that disappointed me the most. You know, the like all the balance stuff and things like that, that gets reworked over time, but yeah. But man, this is just that was the thing I, I, that left me the most disheartened. But that's also one of the reasons why I'm excited to do like friendly events where hopefully that kind of behavior just isn't part of that environment. Now I get to go? Now you get to go. Okay. Because Richard said so. <laughs> Thank you, Richard. I appreciate you saying so. I'm going to
1: have to pick the, the, the mental... Breakdown Not breakdown That's the wrong word But yeah. Me me forgetting my army Like other people have In the past When you go to an event And you don't have an army That's a totally bad feeling Yeah Because then you feel like Okay well what do I do I, I can't do this Do I just drop do, But that's kind of bad For other people What What? And so I mean Even though that was a negative I'm so still thankful For Show Me Show Me Down To turn that into a positive mm-hmm. So That That was just pretty darn amazing But yeah, yeah. Everyone, if when you're packing your your army, make sure you got the right cases. Yeah. Double check, triple check.
2: And I think even like before we got in the car to hit... He- for head, Iron
1: Halo, yeah, yeah, you, you double checked at your yeah. place. You checked at my place,
2: yeah, because <laughs> oh, I I have that kind of paranoia of am I going to forget something? And then after you did it, show me, show it, and I'm like, I better,
3: yeah, <laughs> Richard. Um. Oh no, it's pretty been a pretty good year. Uh, did Vortex Doom was crap. <laughs> oh my gosh. That was,
1: I remember when that was like scary cuz it was like stayed out there and it moved around everywhere and oh. now it did what one wound to me. Yep. Yeah, it was that, pretty that was bad. Disappointing.
0: <laughs> so, I do want to like kind of preface before I say this. I just want to say as well like there were a lot of really really great things that happened this year. Um, you know, I picked out we've all talked about things that we liked. There were a lot of events we got to attend. To I got a lot of attend events in Phoenix. You know, here in Kansas City, Minnesota, the LVO was great. So I don't want people to like go like, oh, you know, they're being negative. Like I, we only mentioned one big thing like that we had, but there was a ton of positive things. Yeah, um, hey, the, I turn my
1: negative into a positive. So,
0: yeah. Well, so I'm going to kind of do that a little bit with the with my negative, and. We don't know the full story. I'm not, you know, so I'm not going to accuse anybody of anything, but we had two nights either misplaced or stolen at Midwest Conquest. And that was a really, that was a really disheartening thing because when you come to events like that, you don't want to think that people will do that. You don't want to think that, oh, somebody that was at our event, you know, stole you know stole that you know intentionally or did something like that and it is entirely possible that they you know were accidentally taken that somebody you know hotel staff accidentally threw them away like it could have been any number of things but it's still really disheartening when you're running an event and people are you know relying on you to like you know
2: Keep stuff, you know, keep the room locked and keep stuff. Well, and you know, it also didn't happen until technically after the event was over. Sure. And, and so, like, it was, from that a, was you know, really rough.
0: From a liability perspective, yeah, it's just one of those, like, it feels bad when you're running an event and mm-hmm. you have something like that happen. On the flip side, we were able to turn it into a positive because the community did a really good job of coming together and replacing the knights and getting, you know, Alex donated his time to paint them up and get them out. So, It turned out to be a positive, but it's still what at the time it was a very, very disheartening thing to have happen in an event that we ran. Mm -hmm. Because like, again, whether it's you want to try to think it's not something, something intentional. But if it was intentional, like you got to realize that like this is someone that came to our event, was here and someone that we probably know.
2: And and that's that's disheartening. Mm -hmm. Agreed. Agreed. All right. So now time to reverse things again. Are you gonna Kevin, reverse.
1: You're gonna do diagonals. No, no, yeah. we're gonna do
2: reverse again. And uh, and that's And I'm not going to start. Kevin gets to start because he just yeah. finished. Oh, because that's the rules. Oh, <laughs> okay. Um, now we're
0: gonna do this in a random number generator.
2: <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was voting for. No. Uh, so, what are you looking forward to most, or like, whether looking yeah. forward to or hoping to see one of the two uh, in uh, 2019 for 40k? I think I
0: said this every year. I'm looking forward to them updating models. I thought you were going to say squats. Well, because because there are so many... You know, we're seeing with Sisters, obviously, we're going to get a new Sisters line in 2019, and that's Mm. fantastic. But Eldar need a massive revamp. Tau have a bunch of fine cast models still. Yeah, um, Necron- space, marines have, Chaos space b- marines have a bunch of not even fine cast models. Yeah. still. necrons are actually necrons pretty have okay. Of, have a bunch of characters that are fine cast. Yeah, that need to probably be redone. There's a lot of models that just need to be updated, mm-hmm. and it's nice to see that they have the ability to do things because, like with Blackstone Fortress or you know Rogue Trader, like the new models they're producing are amazing, and I really hope that we get a chance to see like Slanesh get updated. You know we. Th- the 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 old keeper of secrets is just a trash model. Yeah, like especially compared, there was one. Especially compared I don't remember to it at all. what they compared have to the that. other greater demons. Yeah, it's like no, that that needs to be updated. Um, you know, I'm glad that they've you know did updated seekers and and you know fiends and stuff. So it's like, but you know, like the berserker kit probably needs to be updated. Uh, you know, there's th- th- there's so many models out there that need to be updated and i know this is like every year and i know they're not going to get to all of them as we talked about there's a long tail on it but i hope that they use this campaign books to push new models out there and kind of use those opportunities or release windows to update kits that haven't been updated since second edition third edition
2: mm-hmm. absolutely richard
3: um I steal yours, Dennis. Squats.
1: Okay. You're hoping to see Squats?
3: I I know we won't, like, see Squats in 2019, but, like, they could, like, announce them at the end of the year like they did with Scissors. Yeah. So...
1: I still kind of hope they don't, even though I kind of hope they do.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Even if they just kind of did, like, limited release, like... We've got, like, the one squat bounty hunter for Necromunda, but, right. like, like, a squat like, kill, like, like an Abhuman kill team with yeah. squats or something like that. Cool.
1: Yeah. And that's perfectly fine, Richard, because I wasn't going to say squats anyway. Uh, I,
2: I know. Even though if we, we count how
1: many times boundaries. we've said it now, how many, like, minutes we've added to the clock. Yeah. Well, the
2: clock's the, broken. Yeah, because they, they, they broke that that They could have put it back up. No. no, no they didn't? Okay. No.
1: So, no, I'm going to kind of go along with what Kevin was saying. I have an idea for Eldar Models. I want to see a Yanari codex. Yes. I'm kind of tired of Yanari kind of just pilfering from here and there. Treat them like Dark Angels. Treat them like Blood Angels. They're Eldar, but different. Mm -hmm. So give them their own codex. Put the other model, put like the Dark Reapers and the Dire Avengers, the ones that they would have, put them in there. And then that way you've got your own Yanari data sheet for them. And at the same time, you can maybe release the new models with something like that.
2: Yeah, yeah. And that would also allow you to fix some of the issues with Inari where they're – they're basic like, Inari are basically the best versions of this craft world or that yeah. craft world right now because they get access to the stratagems and toys without necessarily having and, –
1: And in a way, know, the, if you put the other things, it's kind of – like I said, it's kind of like Inari would be the Dark Angels equivalent of Space Marines where Eldari are the Space Marines.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, I, yeah, that, and I, you know, I, I know I tease about the, the Inari pamphlet, but no, they need a full blown codex that yes. actually covers what they've been doing. And then maybe allow, you know, either, I, I don't know if they would have their own sub faction traits yet. They probably I think, would
1: not have sub No, but
2: like have a, a rule that would act as their faction trait, yeah. which would be the Soulburst rule. Yeah. Yeah. Um, for me, uh, I, you know, like, New models, obviously, I'm looking forward to the to the plastic sisters and everything. Yeah. But I'm kind of of mixed mind there because I have so many metal sisters that I don't necessarily need the plastic <laughs> ones. But but you know I would like to see new models. I would like to see Inari, you know I get a codex. Um, sorry, jury's still out on squats, dude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but uh, no, I'm just excited to see more campaign books. I yeah. want to see you know now that the codex is, you know we're, we're waiting for Gene Steeler Colts and then sisters and we technically have a sister's book to work with. And we know Gene Seeler are like, like next month, probably next month, maybe February, you yeah. know, probably yeah. revealed at LVO, but I'm excited to see campaign books. I'm excited to see them. You know, just like at the end of Seventh Edition, we saw them really starting to push the for push the story forward with Gathering Storm. We you know we saw the story move forward. And Now they're continuing to move the story forward with Vigilus, and we're actually seeing existing characters getting updated, new characters mm-hmm. being introduced outside of Codexes. We're probably going to see a new Abaddon when the vid you know when the new Vigilus book comes out. Is he going to be in I duck so. armor? No, maybe. maybe, maybe, maybe. Uh, but uh. But I'm, that's what I'm excited to see. I'm excited, like, the Vigilist campaign. Let's, let's see a campaign that takes, like, you know, half, half a year to, to Mm -hmm. really run. Let's see a, I'm, I'm curious to see when they do a new Tau and Necron or Tau. You know, maybe these campaign books are no longer going to be fully the domain of, um, like Forge World, like it yeah. used to be. And granted, like at the like I said, at the end of seventh, we started the end of sixth and seventh. We started to see a lot. You know, they did the Shield of Ball stuff. They did the uh, Ra- Wrath of Magnus. They did um, Mont Khan, Calion. So obviously, we they we've seen that they can do it. I like what I've seen from Vigilus so far. I'd like to see them to do more, and I want to and. and it's nice to see 40k being like a living universe again just like it's a living game system now that they're updating it and rebalancing it and working with the community i want them to continue to do this because it all i mean it helps it pushes new rules it keeps the game fresh it adds you know adds new ideas moves the narrative forward gives the right like the black library writers new stuff to work with new novels to write mm-hmm. new story directions to go in um, some of it will make the fans upset. You know, obviously, like not everybody is on board with Primaris being the big hot new thing. Some people hate Primaris models, but you know, it's kind of interesting. Let's see, let's see, like the new plot stuff. Let's see them move forward, and then see how is that reflected on the tabletop. And 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 again, those campaign books give options for updating some of these codexes without having to do a full blown print codex. And then we have chapter approved at the end of the year where they can collect some of that stuff and reprint it.
0: I know this isn't really one of the specific questions we were going to ask, but one of the things I hope they don't do is just go right back into the codex cycle. I really I hope really they don't. really don't want to see that. I'd much rather see them update things that need tweaks through chapter approved and through campaign books.
2: Yeah, let the codexes kind of stand alone. At this point, the only two codexes that I might see updated would be like Chaos Space Marines and Space Marines, because mm-hmm. they're kind of like the OG codexes for yeah. for 8th and but then at the same time we've got index Starties coming out yeah in in white dwarf which is a chance to kind of retool those piece by piece too
0: I, like as as I've said before I've kind of flipped my my position on this I would almost rather see them continue to break those codexes apart and update them that way rather than doing a whole nother big you know Space Marine Codex yeah. every two years or something. So I, I, I just don't want them to – I don't want to go in like we had in 7th Edition where, you know, we had two of like several codexes. And then we had these campaign books and splat books that kind of came in and basically also remade the codexes. And it's like they were updating things too much. Mm-hmm. So it's like let some of this stuff kind of stand and breathe on its own. You've got other methods to tweak and make
2: updates. You don't need to reprint everything. So. Yeah. So yeah, no, I, I'm, w- I'm definitely with you there. All right, well, um, sorry, this has been a short episode, but it's after one a.m. Yeah, and we still have a little, a couple things to pack up and uh, head home and get some sleep. I got so, a long day of to travel tomorrow. Yeah, so. or today, <laughs> today, yeah, today. today. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so uh, anyway, Kevin, as always, it's it's been good to have you back in studio. Yeah, I'm back. I it's, enjoy having
1: you here. Yeah, it's good
2: to be back. Good get games in too. Yeah. So uh from all of us here at Preferred Enemies I'm Rob, Kevin, and Dennis, and Richard. Good night, good gaming and happy new year everybody. Enjoy happy your 2019. Year. Happy new year.